0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday to you. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. Top of the morning to you. It's another day. Another day to make a to make a dollar, but even more importantly, to have how, how about a better life. That's the goal of this show, to bring you the information, the latest, the greatest uh, research and, uh, you know, experts on the field of healthier living, healthier life. Today, we got a great show for you. We will be talking about the historic nature of Hillary Clinton's nomination. And does it give her an advantage? Right? This is a one, one time in history, first time in history... This should give Hillary a huge advantage, being the first female nominee.
3: Yeah, I heard someone kind of trying to, I guess, wrap their mind around it. I goes, despite what you think of her yeah. or the party. Take or Hillary out of this. Just a, this fema- a female yeah. has been nominated for president in our country. And right more than 50% of the population... That will be voting more than fifty percent are female.
4: Yeah,
2: huge advantage.
3: You and, think. and then they then they backed up and they said, now all all you Republicans who don't like her, yeah. think about it. A female Republican can do this also because she showed She's, that it can be done. So she now, done it, broke the glass ceiling. Now some of that sort of built-in bias can be yeah. possibly done away with because okay, that it didn't you know blow up the country that a female ran for president. But is it is it really an advantage? We will we will find
2: out because it it also seems like it's something that Hillary's not playing on too much. And then some people think she's playing on it too much. And you know who plays on it a lot more? It seems like are the media. The media talk about it more in a way. I'm and I think our researcher today will kind of clarify why she's kind of hesitant because it doesn't necessarily win her you know audiences that she needs to win. Yes. So we'll, we'll get into that. Men. Specifically, white male conservatives. Um, which, and I, I, want to, I want to figure out why. It seems like history matters. We will also, of course, be doing a little review of the Olympics. And I did not know that, uh, in track and field, the dive to the victory. She tripped. I, I think she was diving. She was tripping. She was, she was, it's like, it's like sliding in at first base. It's something you
3: don't do normally. Well, you try to do it with, uh, with dirt, and yeah. she did it on a hard track, rubbery surface, so she probably has major burns on but her But you legs. know what? I'd take a little burn for a little gold.
2: Would you? Yeah. I think she tripped. I think, what's the metal worth? Like $20,000. Depends. Minus taxes, but she's from Jamaica, so I don't know if the tax breaks are there. We will. Um, <laughs> it's a tax haven, isn't it? <laughs> probably. I don't know. We'll talk more about that, plus uh, some of the latest, greatest uh, political news, I guess. Yeah. Donald's still talking. He's really taken a hit in some of the polls. We'll get to that. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen in the headline. Sadie?
5: In what was allocated as a major foreign policy address in Ohio, Donald Trump suggested, as he has in the past, that Hillary Clinton is somehow secretly ill. This time, though, Clinton lacks the mental and physical stamina to take on ISIS, which comes just a week after conspiracy theories bubbled to the surface once again, saying that the Democratic nominee has some terminal ailment. Donald Trump is on track to lose young voters in numbers never before seen in modern American history, a USA Today Rock the Vote poll has found. Millennials have apparently rallied around Hillary Clinton. The USA Today poll shows Clinton defeating Trump 56% to 20% with voters under 35, a significant number as millennials now outnumber baby boomers. Fifteen inmates were transferred from Guantanamo Bay to the United Arab Emirates on Monday, making it the biggest transfer during President Obama's administration. There are now 61 detainees in total in prison. Obama previously rolled out a plan to shut down the facility, but it faces opposition in Congress. And finally, Matt, after a newlywed wife lost her passport, her husband was forced to take their honeymoon trip alone. What? But, but, he brought a paper cutout of her to keep him company. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Photographer Faison Patel and wife Sana realized just a few days before they were due to leave on their honeymoon that she had misplaced her passport. Oh, no. And after they were told they could not get a refund, the newlyweds decided Faison should go without Sana. But to cheer the two up, he posted funny pictures of himself online with a photograph of his wife's head as he traveled on planes and trains during the trip.
2: Creepy. That's well, sad. It's not creepy. It's... Is that cute?
5: Kind of cute, I no, guess. No,
2: interesting, Sadie. You, you just went all... You know, gushy on us. Yeah.
5: Not gushy. It's uh. It's kind of. It's endearing. Is that romantic? Yes, I guess. Mm. Okay, kind L- of.
2: Let's change it a little bit. Uh, so he's home. He comes from home for the home honeymoon. You come in from work, and he's on the couch with your head cut out.
3: That's a little weird. It's a whole Wilson
2: and volleyball he's, and he's type talking. situation. And he's making voices for you. And he's talking for you.
3: That's cute, isn't that cute? But oh boy, that'd be that'd be good though. He he could say, "Could I buy a new TV?" And it would be like, "Yes, you may." There you we can go. buy anything
2: you want to buy, you big stud.
3: Not out there asking questions yeah. to people who can say no. No, let's got to know your audience. You got to say no. You didn't even say no.
2: <laughs> hey, uh, an Olympic update for you, because who doesn't love Olympics? Terry doesn't uh, It's fine Shawnee it uh, Miller
3: Dives for gold for the Bahamas Trips I, I don't know if it's a trip it, I don't know I'm, I'm watching it It didn't look like there, it,
2: According to Huffington Post It's a dive across the finish line Dive in the final seconds Of the women's 400 sprint By the way that is a long race 400 meters? I mean, 400 meter sprint That's a long race 100 meter, I could handle. That's why I almost took on Hussein. <laughs> really? You almost did? But 400 meters? Ha huh. And she thought, I guess she could sense, uh, what's her name closing in on her? Allison Felix was closing in on her, I guess. No, Allison Felix, I thought was the, yeah, could feel her closing in, so she dives.
4: Hmm.
3: Oh, did you hear that? What was that? That was her diving. Was that her diving, Jeff? It was the smallest of splashes. I think it sounded more of a, maybe a, Ugh! she hit the ground, because she hit pretty hard. Yeah, doesn't matter. That's, that's why it looked like she, she tripped. She won the gold. Or she was exhausted and just went, blah, and then, you know. She broke the rules, though. You
2: don't you don't dive into first. So it's a cheap gold, is that what you're saying? No, it's like sliding into first base. Do you slide into first base? You can. But every
3: once in a while, they do, and There's it works. There's these unwritten rules of right? baseball. Right. She broke the rule, and it worked. I mean, it, she didn't break an Olympic rule. She You're broke, not supposed to you know, throw the baseball and hit the guy in the ear, but they do it. I know. That's all right. <laughs> Interesting Olympic
2: news there. Uh, Walsh Jennings, one of my favorite volleyball players, fourth gold she'll be going for today. Do you have any other favorite volleyball players? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Um, but <laughs> she's fantastic. <laughs> I love her because I think she's a mom, and she's old like me. Right. What is she, 39 or something? 40. She's your,
3: your favorite Olympic volleyball player. Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh-huh. Uh, Simone Biles stumbled on the, on the uh, what's that called? The walking the balance death beam. balance beam. The walking death. Let me guess, your favorite gymnast. No, but my favorite name, Simone, which you'll be naming your daughter. <laughs> no. Simone. Great. I mean, it's cool. It's happening. There's Olympic spirit.
3: Where? In Rio. Okay, great. Before after, you know, people are getting held up and threatened for their lives. Honestly, so, that to me is part of the f- part of the fun of the Olympics. Keeping their head above the water is not to catch some exotic disease. <laughs> no. <laughs> you're making it sound so negative. It's not negative. There's just certain points that they're airbrushing to make it look nice and Glossy for the TV.
2: Well, that's right.
3: That's how this works. I know. <laughs> Speaking of uh,
2: airbrushed and glossy, Donald Trump proposed um, some more vetting.
3: Yes, he called it extreme, extreme vetting. So this would be TSA on steroids. I guess.
1: We should only admit into this country those who share our values and respect our people. In the Cold War... Yes. We had an ideological screening test. The time is overdue to develop a new screening test for the threats we face today. Hmm. I call it extreme vetting. I call it extreme, extreme vetting. There you go. Our country has enough problems we don't need more,
3: and these are problems like we've never had. Man, so well, un- under a President Trump, is he gonna add extreme to things like they do, and you know, kind of cheap marketing they uh, well, out there like, to get you yeah, excited, like extreme sports? Yeah, but or, he didn't. He he actually added three extremes. He said extreme once, and then he came back and doubled down with two extremes. Yeah, so, I think the next level is extreme plus. Yeah, yeah, mega
2: super extreme vetting. <laughs> By the way, he invokes the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to that. Yeah. That works so well. So we're going back to go forward.
3: because But what he's going to do is well, vet ideology. It fits with what he kind of talks about is America was great. Right. And he's going to take us back to where it was great again, which Let's go back to theoretically the was, I guess, uh, a time previous. So the Cold War is where he's going to pull that element from. Now, how do you vet somebody's loyalty I really don't know how do you ask somebody questions to uh, figure out if they're extremist I don't know no let well, I me mean, you ask them you've, you've landed in a foreign country
2: and had to fill out their form on an airplane right and when you're sitting there on the airplane you're you're entering everything into the form and I guess one of those questions would be do you mind extreme vetting <laughs> <laughs> yeah prepare for the triple extreme vet, and then are you with us or against us? Yeah. Are you planning on harming us? Just about add five more questions, then you'll know.
3: Just ask him. People are going to answer truthfully. I have no idea. Okay.
2: I have no idea yeah. what that's about. But Con, uh, remember um, the uh, the man from the Democratic convention. convention that the father of the that, really, that really took the. News cycle away from Donald for quite a while. Yeah, he now is challenging Donald to uh, uh, to a little throwdown. Give Trump the citizenship test. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you but know you if, could give half
3: the country that test and they wouldn't pass. Oh, so. it's a
2: hard. We've we've practiced it on this show yeah. and it's a hard test. Yeah, Donald
3: wouldn't do well. No, well, so, he's already shown you know different uh, aspects of the of the Constitution and different articles and yeah. Yeah. Congress He's, has asked him questions. He's failed so.
2: because Donald's proposed instituting an ideological test to visa applicants. Mr. Khan believes that that Donald ought to have to pass the immigration test. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck on that. Uh, Trump, by the way, um, is, is still on it when he talks about, uh, you know, it was Obama and Clinton's policies that caused ISIS.
1: The rise of ISIS is the direct result of policy decisions made by President Obama and Secretary of State Clinton.
6: By the way, the
3: teleprompter talk <laughs> sounds weird. With it's him. better when he's saying they founded him. They founded <laughs> ISIS. So you like that? better? <laughs> yeah. See, now, this is a argument, though. Yeah. He's saying that their policies right. and the decisions they made... Led to the rise of ISIS. That is a legit argument you can make. Saying you, you they could. founded it, like they went over there that had was, a meeting, and that was a that was yeah. a
2: mistake <laughs> that he won't admit. But I don't. You think that when he's using the teleprompter, he sounds different, and yes. I actually think it makes him sound maybe. I mean, he actually sounds more literate. Well, yeah,
3: but weird. Well, his thoughts are organized, and if he doesn't, yeah. you know, try to improv while he's up there, he stays out of trouble. Hmm But then he starts improving, and you, you get a lot of fun that way, but it's also quite sure. troubling for people. Hillary had a little take on Donald's uh, speech.
5: The secret is he has no plan. <laughs> he talked about letting Syria become a free zone for ISIS, a major country in the Middle East that could launch attacks against us and others. He's talked about sending ground troops, American ground troops. Well, that is off the table as far as I am concerned.
3: So, um, She's kind of stinted when she talks, too. That yeah. was hurtful. Yeah.
2: She's, she's, she's a tough cookie, except Donald would, would claim that maybe she's not as tough as she needs to be.
1: She also lacks the mental and physical stamina to take on ISIS and all of the many adversaries we face not only in terrorism, but in trade and every other challenge we must confront to turn our great country around.
3: Alluding to some of the uh, theories that she's suffering from the eff- the effects of a concussion yeah. or some, some sort of mental debility. some Something's going on that has caused Hillary Clinton not to be 100% is the theory. It's the theory. And it's, but it's being pushed by... Some many are saying
2: that she needs to release her records, her health records, because when was it, 2012? She had, I think, what they even called a brain. Um, it wasn't a it was stroke; a, it was a traumatic brain. It was, it was a blood clot there on you her go. brain. Yeah, there you go. And yeah, because and since then, you know, they'll show a picture of her leaning on somebody or stepping off of something. And Biden caught her the other day. Mm-hmm. And they make a big deal about it, like she almost turfed it and yeah. fell it. In, no, so he wants her records released. They want his taxes taxes released. The reality, none of it will probably be released. No, but in the end, does any of it matter? Because Hillary gives this advice about Bill, or I mean about Donald.
5: I know some of you may have friends up here in northeastern
2: Pennsylvania. Well. I think that's an example where she fades. You know, she just fades right out. No, she said, friends don't let friends vote for Trump. That's what she's saying. Friends don't let friends drink and drive is the original quote. Friends don't let friends vote for Trump. Yeah. They don't. Friends don't let friends vote for Trump. It's true. What do you say? I guess. Okay. She should be killing it, shouldn't she? Well, she's got her own issues, right? She's, she's got historic low trust figures. I think it's 11 percent of the country tr- say they trust Hillary Clinton. But, but really, if Hillary aside, shouldn't the fact that we are have nominated the first female ever in the United States to be president of the United States, shouldn't that be a big deal? Well, our next guest uh, is going to talk about that. The advantage of being the first. Do these historic firsts, for example, first female nominated, isn't it it a real advantage? Will Hillary Clinton, being a female, give uh, her an edge in political polling? Stick with us. We'll find out from a true blue expert that's been researching it. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I may become the first president, woman president, but one of you is next. That's what Hillary Clinton said addressing young girls during her speech at the Democratic National Convention. Hillary's campaign has continued to emphasize the historic nature of her candidacy, but will this help or hurt her chances? Dr. Leslie Cogill is joining us, and she is a professor of gender and women's studies at Virginia Wesleyan College. She's here to help us answer that question, and we so appreciate you being here. Dr. Cogill. thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to us about this. For me, a, ch- a child that was raised by my mom and my three sisters, to I can imagine if this had happened 30 years ago when I was home with my family, they'd be screaming at the top of their lungs. Is this an advantage uh, to have this historic first for Hillary Clinton? Does it give her a bump in the polls?
0: Well, it's actually a complicated question. Um, and the answer is it's an advantage to Hillary Clinton among certain subsets of voters, um, but certainly not all voters. Mm, sure. So, for example, women seem to respond very positively when you remind them that a candidate would be a historic first. Um, men don't exhibit kind of the same positive response, and it's also possible that this emphasis that both the Clinton campaign and the media have put on Hillary Clinton as a historic first. Could undermine her credibility in the minds of some voters, particularly voters in, who tend to be more conservative.
2: So conservative voters, uh, every time you mention it's her that she's the first female, it actually undermines their view of her. Is it one thing I, I read in your article? Is it undermines her other her other
4: successes?
0: Yeah, so there's a real question in the political science literature about whether or not it's a good thing for women to be presented um, as historic first, because in some ways it treats women as a novelty uh. in American politics, and it also draws attention away from, for example, the level of experience Hillary Clinton brings to the table. Yeah. Um, she's certainly a very qualified candidate who has a good deal of Kind of uh, political experience, um, and when you talk about her being the first, you're really kind of drawing attention to Hillary Clinton as a novelty, and certainly not invoking the kind of many years of public service that she has kind of under her belt.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You would hold her up as, like, like you said, a novelty that she's that this is different. She's different instead of just she's she's one of the gang with this incredible, prof, this profound wealth of experience.
0: Yes, absolutely.
2: Does it, was this the same with President Obama
0: you know, being I a first? Think, I think that we can posit, and again, this is an empirical question that I don't yeah. have the data um, on, but that it would have affected President Obama in much the same way. And we could talk about um, kind of being a historical first, benefiting any candidate who's of a minority status, and minority status in terms of kind of representation in government.
2: Interesting is as I look at it. Um, again, she does have such a wealth of experience and knowledge. She also has a, kind of an inherent curse of being a Clinton and <laughs> and being a Clinton and in this scene for thirty years. So there is already name issues. There is I bet she had the highest you know name recognition you can have along with Donald Trump. Does in a way do you? I don't know. This is kind of a loaded question. It seems like we would all have been happier with cleaner candidates, even, you know, a cleaner female first and a cleaner Trump, whatever, is does does that become part of this? And and does that ruin the first, you know, any positives of the first?
0: You know, I think- really interesting question. And in a lot of ways, Hillary Clinton is a unique candidate because she does bring baggage uh, to this uh, electoral run she's making with her. Uh, And the reality is, especially for people who remember the Clinton presidency, the first Clinton presidency, um, I mean, there aren't a lot of people who are undecided about Hillary Mm -hmm. Clinton. Um, That's not the case for younger voters, which is interesting. And I think maybe one of the kind of most intriguing parts of this presidential run has been the fact that young voters don't seem particularly uh, excited about Hillary Clinton candidacy and in the historic nature of her run Uh, in many ways because when you interact with young voters and we can see this in the data as well um, they assume that a a female will be president right so Mm. it's less about kind of the woman running for office than kind of the person themselves right
2: They anticipate it's going to happen. It's not a question anymore.
0: Right. It's going to happen. Um, And, you know, they they don't see politics as being quite the kind of male boys club that women who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s kind of uh, perceived politics to be. So they seem to be more focused on it being the right woman, rather than kind of um, getting on board with the idea of a woman candidate for the, Interesting. the female.
2: Interesting. So, so generally, uh, Hillary Clinton is up with females, except I guess younger females, where is she? Uh, it,
0: females, I think the reality is kind of Bernie Sanders supporters, they're going to vote for Hillary Clinton because, you know, they're much more closely aligned to her than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So she seems to get their vote. And Hillary Clinton is actually getting the vote of white, educated voters uh, who are female at much higher rates than have past uh, Democratic candidates. In fact, Mitt Romney took that voting block uh, in the last election. And Republicans have had the kind of educated white female vote. Uh, for kind of a decades, and what we see is a double-digit lead for Clinton hmm. with those voters over Donald Trump, um, because, well, Hillary Clinton is in many ways a flawed candidate. Donald Trump brings his own kind of particular baggage <laughs> to the table, particularly as it relates to women.
2: Right. Yeah. Does It's interesting. So does does a more educated voter base, are they more prone to vote with the historic nature of this nomination?
0: Like they are. And if you kind of break out the data, one of the things that we see is individuals who score lowest in in terms of sexism, as scholars measure sexism, uh, they tend to kind of um, exhibit a greater effect for historical first appeals that candidates make um so individuals who tend to be lower in sexism also tend to be more educated hmm. um so we do see that kind of correlation so educated voters find these or seem to find these appeals um, kind of a- appeal right
2: yeah is and, and so then the the group she she tends to do really well with tends to be more educated females mm-hmm. and 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 anyone and diversity anyone with diversity but um White male conservatives, is, I guess, is the group she does the lowest uh, with.
0: Yeah. So Donald Trump is leading her by double digits in polling or, or has uh, throughout the election with white male voters. Um, but I think that's intriguing in and of itself, because white male voters are increasingly making up a smaller portion of the electorate. Hmm. Uh, women have voted at greater rates than men since the 1980s. That's going to continue to be true. And we also see minorities voting at greater rates than they have in the past. So Donald Trump's doing well with a, a substantial voting bloc, um, but that voting block is kind of diminishing in their electoral power.
2: Wow. And it's, I mean, that's why everybody thought the minute Hillary was running that uh, that whole female block would just jump on and start supporting her. But I guess what we're finding out is they don't necessarily just jump on in mass.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that we see is I think scholars in the media, we often kind of present the idea of a female candidate in an oversimplified way. Mm. Voters are not going to vote for a woman just because she's a woman if that woman doesn't align with them in terms of their political values. Um, What we see, though, for Hillary Clinton is that among that small segment of the American population that's undecided, um, the idea of her being the first female candidate and kind of the, the pride that goes along with that could help her um, kind of appeal to these independent and undecided voters, you know, and minority voters.
2: Yeah, now. yeah. Does talk to us um, just when when you as a scholar and uh, as a researcher in gender and women's studies, when you saw the Democratic convention, you saw her nomination, uh, the breaking of the glass ceiling. What what did you think, just as a
4: scholar?
0: I have to admit. There's a kind of substantial amount of pride, I think, that goes along with the first kind of uh, female candidate being nominated by a major party. But I think what's most intriguing for me is how much more Clinton is emphasizing her gender in this presidential run than she did in 2008. Um, So I think if you kind of go back and look at Hillary Clinton's speeches in 2007, 2008, she really downplayed Mm -hmm. um, being a woman. what we see in this campaign is kind of from the minute that she announced that she was running she put gender front and center yeah and she made the argument to voters that what would make her a unique kind of a candidate what makes her different uh because she spent so much time working in washington is the fact that she's female
2: Mm. let's um let's let's take a break on that and come back to that very point we're speaking with dr leslie coggill who is walking us through the pros the cons the benefits of being the first You'd think there'd be an advantage to uh, having such a historic nomination like Hillary Clinton is going through as the first female nominated by a a party. And I'm telling you, it's a a big deal. And yet, it's not all you uh, think it is. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, trying to understand gender and politics. We'll be right back. Townsend Show, Doctor Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Today we're talking about uh, Hillary Clinton's historic nomination. Does it give her a real bump in the polls? Does having an advantage of being the first, uh, the first African American president, the first female president, as we've seen, um, does it help? And, and does it give her an edge? Does it give her an edge with women? Does it give her an edge, you know, overall in, in this election? We're speaking with uh, Leslie Coggle, Dr. Leslie Cogill, Professor of Gender and Women's Studies at Virginia Wesleyan Church, or Church, Wesleyan College. But I'm sure there's a Wesleyan Church somewhere on the college, isn't there, Leslie? There is. Had to be. I knew it. Hey, um, talk to us about this. It seems like Hillary Clinton, like you were talking about her... This year, she's this this time instead of four years ago. She is pushing a little bit more. Um, her her, the fact that she's a first, but it seems interesting and different than Carly Fiorina when she was running. It almost seems like she was kind of running away from the first
0: yeah i think one of the things that we see in a lot of the research is that being a historic first is likely to benefit democratic candidates uh, rather or kind of more so than republican ones mm. uh, so the people who respond most positively to appeals that women make to being a first uh, tend to concentrate themselves within the democratic party
4: interesting
0: so makes it a pretty risky strategy emphasizing the historic nature of a candidate uh, if you're a female and you're Republican.
2: Well, and that's, you know, that seems a little scary because, I mean, I guess it makes sense if, if you're the conservative party, change isn't usually what you're great at. Um, but it seems like then the Democrats could have a corner on firsts for the next generation. Yeah.
0: And I think this. Particularly problematic too if we look at the composition of the Republican and Democratic Party uh, there are many fewer female representatives who are Republican so it doesn't seem like this kind of idea that a woman would be a historic first for president or for even governor um, is going to help women kind of get into office at greater rates mm. So there's really kind of a concentrated effectiveness with yeah. the parties
2: here. Do you put on your gender women's studies hat and and teach us here? I mean, it's a, it's such a I guess a, a potentially volatile issue. But what we seem to f- hear from Donald Trump's followers, they they tend to be, if I'm getting it correct, uh, male, white, generally. Um, but disenfranchised almost they're disenfranchised white middle american males and um and then we and the, what you were just saying the fact that the that uh, the conservatives don't necessarily you know fall to and and, and support the female first or, or really kind of any minorities first what's happening in america between i guess the white male and to, in, this, in this election, you know, feminism?
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of the million-dollar question here. Um, for political scientists, I think we were running around for the past year saying there's no chance that Donald Trump will get this nomination, right? Very right. few people looked at him as a credible candidate, but it's clear that he's tapped into something within American society. Uh, I think a resentment about the status quo and... Um, And in much the same way that Bernie Sanders, I think, tapped into that same kind Mm -hmm. of resentment as an outsider. And I think we're seeing that all of the games made by women or many of the games made by women uh, that we've kind of expressed so much pride in have also left a substantial portion of the American electorate feeling a little like disenfranchised or dislocated. And Donald Trump is very much making a play on kind of returning to something previous. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of a cornerstone of his campaign. Make America great again. Um, but it, it's definitely worth uh, seeing, I think, some backlash to uh, kind of feminist gains and women's gains uh, kind of outside of the feminist movement um, that's just being captured it, In some ways so effectively by the donald trump campaign
2: what 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 is a white male to do i mean (laughs) like because they really it almost feels like they're they feel the world is over and again i think it's probably made more much more complicated by the fact of clinton's history and Mm -hmm. and all of the rhetoric that's gone on for so many years um any any advice that i mean i don't sense we need to ever fear a female being as in as president um, some might fear this female, but mm-hmm. it's it's just equality, right? It's, just, it's time to just learn to accept everyone.
0: Yeah, and I think maybe the one good thing that can come from this election year, which in so many ways is nontraditional, was as Americans, I think we can start to have a larger conversation about kind of how people perceive their role in society um, and the ways in which people feel disadvantaged. Um, so, again, one of the things that Donald Trump is so, I think, in, in many ways, uh, kind of effectively capturing is this sense that, you know, people talk about white privilege, but there is a substantial kind of portion of the electorate, particularly white males, who don't feel like they have kind of that status or privilege,
4: mm.
0: right? And, yeah. and that in many ways is kind of maybe an overblown claim.
2: Yeah, they're not feeling, they actually feel like they've been losing privilege for decades. Right. Right. Interesting. Is uh, and then in the end, um, you know, Hillary Clinton, as, as this all comes out, if she ends up winning and is victorious, is is it the same effect for the 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 women's movement for the I mean, is it going to create the acceptance that we want and we need or is it still going to be people quietly being sexist? but blaming it on politics
0: you know i think that a hillary clinton win would kind of further advance a lot of the gains made by women and i think it's worth noting here too if you ask voters most voters don't have a problem with the idea of a woman in office Um, where sexism ends up manifesting itself in campaigns It tends to be much more subtly than people kind of running around going, well, I don't think a woman could be president. Right. Right? So what we see is, for example, very gendered patterns in media coverage, um, a a greater focus on things like appearances. Uh, We certainly talk about spouses for female candidates much more than we talk about them for male candidates. Mm. Uh, Political scientists actually call it the the hair husband's hemline problem, (laughs) right? So... There's just this awareness that kind of sex matters in terms of how a campaign is run. And it can be a benefit for women. So, for example, uh, we know that voters respond fairly negatively to kind of men who com- come out and campaign negatively kind of a- against a female challenger. Um, so they respond in-, in kind of different ways based on the gender of candidates. So it can be an advantage for women, but it can also be a disadvantage as well.
2: Yeah. In fact, when they've been beating up Hillary for her tone, her voice sounds like she's screaming. And we've talked about that when, I mean, you know, man's just speaking strongly, aggressively. Do you think any of this will matter in the debate? I mean, Hillary's probably the most prepared candidate on the issues that we've ever had or had in many years is, uh, will there be a weird, you know, sexist or not sexist, but uh, will there be a weird moment? It seems like if Donald's too harsh, we might think that's not how you treat a lady.
0: Yeah. You know, this is a really interesting question because the debates are going to be perceived by voters in part through this prism of gender. We know that when Joe Biden was preparing to debate Sarah Palin in the vice presidential debate, the campaign spent a lot of time uh, kind of helping him to frame his debate strategy in um, kind of comments in ways that wouldn't make it look like he were kind of beating up on a woman.
7: Yeah, being a boy.
0: Verbally, right, exactly. Um, and again, we are going to assume, I, I would imagine, that Donald Trump is going to be prepared in much the same way. So there are ways that you can and can't talk, given the different genders of the candidates. Mm. Um, now, whether or not the debates will kind of go on as scheduled and, in some ways is a little bit up in the air, um, because Hillary Clinton is an incredibly prepared candidate and she's a good debater. Um, and I think there are reasons to question whether or not Donald Trump is kind of both prepared for and would benefit from debating Hillary yeah. Clinton.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I could believe that he would be really prepared like Joe Biden. But I have a feeling. I mean, I I have a feeling they want to prepare him. I just have a feeling that he may not listen is um, how what do the Republicans do if you were going to consult or advise the Republican Party on how to attract more females uh, in into the race? What would you suggest to them?
0: here is pretty sound in the sense that if Republicans want more female Republican candidates running, they need to do a better job of recruiting women. And one of the things that we see is women tend to enter politics uh, in different ways than men do from different fields. So, for example, if you look at the composition, career composition of members of Congress, um, lawyers, tend to be more likely than people, lawyers and business people, to run for office. Uh, that's not true for women. Yeah. They tend to come to public service on a, a different route, often through things like education or health care, right? So they enter politics after being kind of motivated by more on-the-ground kind of experience or kind of encounters with the the system, right, and kind of enter politics in a way to change that system mm. to kind of advance their personal or kind of professional goals. Yeah. Um, and in terms of appealing to female voters, I think Republicans need to do a better job of identifying the areas in which kind of female voters care, right? And one of the things that we see is it's probably not very useful for Republican candidates to continue to focus on these social issues.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and we see female voters find them incredibly off-putting. Uh, and I think this kind of we don't want to paint with too broad a brush because, as, as I mentioned before, white educated women have tended to vote Republican in the past. Uh, and one of the real problems for the Republican Party in this presidential election year is they're not getting the support from those women that they were in the past. Donald Trump, it just seems to um, kind of be very off-putting. Mm-hmm. It, it,
2: it seemed like if he was going to gain any ground, he'd be gaining it on... You know, national security that he's going to make safe. He's going to make the country safer. But it's almost like Donald's trying to create this safety idea by, you know, removing rights or or, you know,
0: I don't know. Very much made, I think, a central component of his campaign. Fear. If you contrast yeah. the Republican and the Democratic national conventions, I think you very much see that the Republican convention was focused on the idea of Americans being fearful um, from a national security perspective, from an economic perspective. That's not been the, the tone or tenor for the most part of the Clinton campaign.
2: Mm-hmm. No, yeah. There's there's still hope. Life's still good. <laughs> Don't give right. up. Um, well, Leslie, as we wrap this up, give us I always ask for the one thing, the one thing that um, we probably all ought to keep in context, we all ought to remember, or the most important thing you'd want us all to know about uh, gender, women firsts in this election.
0: I think the most important thing to remember is for Hillary Clinton and for the American public, I mean, this is a major milestone. We, for the first time in our history, have a woman running as a major party candidate. Women have run for office, including the presidency before. Um, But Hillary Clinton has a a very real chance of winning. uh, And I think it represents her victory or potential victory, a major milestone, in American politics, you bet. we're kind of seeing a changing composition of kind of our legislatures and kind of our representatives.
2: Yeah, and breaking another barrier. It uh, again, you may Absolutely. not love the candidate, but breaking a barrier that could be great. Appreciate it, Dr. Leslie Cogill. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, Dr. Cogill is a professor of American politics and gender and women's studies at Virginia Wesleyan College. We'll take a break, folks. Come back and uh, celebrate Joke Day. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, again, candidates aside, it's sad to me. She, Hillary has an 11% trustworthy rating. 11% of the population feel like they can trust Hillary Clinton. And yet again, such a, a, an historic figure, right? This is a major, major opportunity to have our first female president. And again, politics aside, everything else aside, you got to love having, having a barrier like that broken. 50% of the population... Fifty percent of the population uh, can finally say that uh, th- that they have a chance in the future of being president. It's also interesting that the youth aren't necessarily just jumping on the bandwagon because our youth believe they can do it anyway. Our, our young women believe they can be president anyway. So take it into a stride and just add it to your your knowledge of uh, of how you how you need to handle this election this year we also wanted to celebrate by the way tell a joke day today is a a very important day about jokes and i've asked jeff to help me along with this jeff because it's tell a joke day and this show usually lacks jokes Mm -hmm. we we need some we need some jocularity okay the first three jokes are brought to you by the words what and why excellent What did the barbed wire say as it wrapped itself around a boxing glove? What did the barbed wire say as it wrapped itself around a boxing glove? I spiked the punch. (laughs) Okay. Well, now, Jeff, um, this is joke day. So try to just see if the jokes could be funny. Well, there were at least six other people in the studio that thought that one was funny. So, all right, here's another one. Did they leave? Why is riding on the ski lift the best part about skiing? Oh, this'll be good. Why why is riding on the ski lift the best part about skiing? No idea. Because the rest is all downhill from there. <laughs> um So the idea is you tell a joke, you make us laugh, we laugh and the people in their cars will laugh. Do you have let's do one more, do you? I've got one more. Will this make people laugh? This will rattle your cages. (laughs) Why did the chicken cross Mm -hmm. the playground? Why did the chicken cross the playground? No idea. No idea. To get to the other slide. (sighs) Okay, so um, it is tell-a-joke day, folks. And uh, what you might want to do, maybe go to Google... Look up jokes and then tell them. This awkward moment brought to you by Jeff Simpson. Tell a joke (sighs) day. It's the first hour of the show, folks. It's got to get better next hour. It will. Stick with us. We'll be right back. More information, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio. Welcome
2: back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy hour number two. Hoping to get you through the morning in a healthier, happier way. If you're on your way to work, stick with us. We've got a great uh, topic for you today. Great teams, 16 things high-performing organizations do differently. We'll be getting into some tools and skills to help uh, your work team create a more a high, a higher-performing team, which we all need. Not here at the Matt Townsend Show. We are high-performance. We are Ferraris
3: in performance as our captain what? Terry is Are you overselling our performance capabilities? Like a Formula One race car driver. More of a Honda Civic. Driving the show. We're reliable. We're economical. We get good. We get, good. <laughs> gas get great mileage. gas mileage. <laughs> yeah.
2: High performing, not I mean, we're we're performing. Let's just call it that. We're performing. We have Jeff Simpson on board now. Hello, hey Jeff. Hello. Hey oh, Jeff, uh, Jeff, tell us a little bit about you. How many kids do you have? I got two girls. Two little girls. A two-year-old and a four-year-old. Cute. And I've, as I said, uh, the first day I've got one wife. One wife. Two girls, one wife. Two girls and a brand new car. You bought a car. A 2004 you bought Toyota a... Camry Solara. But like pristine. It was traded in by an 80-year-old woman. The best car you could buy. So it was... The cleanest. It was cleaner than a brand new car. Oh, I love that. That is never going to happen when I'm 80. <laughs> They're like, I thought, I thought the old guy traded it in. Yeah, he did. What's with all the blood in the back seat? Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Was it fun? Have you? Did you drive it here today? Oh, yeah. I've got a tape deck, so I've been pulling out some old tapes. Uh-oh, what color is it? It's red. <sighs> Do I like, two-door? Don't tell me. Oh, brother. You won't believe this. I, well, I The wind kind of took my door when I opened it today mm-hmm. and just accidentally just dinged your door. Well, I hope you have insurance. I'm sitting there thinking, in this empty parking lot so early in the morning, where should I park? And I thought, next to the really pretty red car. Looks so new and pristine. Then you get out. Bang, bang! Slime your door against the car. The neat thing about the, the like keys. the 2010 model of a Honda is it's so plasticky that it just bends when you hit another door. Well, but the old 2004 model, they still ding. Most cars are plastic and styrofoam, anyways. Uh-huh. You know that when you have one bad accident, right? <laughs> hey, happy roller coaster day! Uh huh. August sixteenth, eighteen ninety eight. Was the very first patent was released for the roller coaster ride, bada boom bada being. Since then it has been making people sick at fairgrounds and parks across the country and the world. Right. Are you a big roller coaster guy? No. Me either. I thought I you know what, I'm finding out about myself. You won't believe this. I seem to have a really warped sense of who I am. No way. Mm-hmm. Way. Because I thought I could, for example, I thought I wanted to be a pilot. I thought that would be mm. really fun. And then yep. I went sure. up with an Air Force pilot in, a, uh, in an airplane,
3: mm-hmm. an acrobatic airplane. Okay. So not like your traditional. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I realized I'm less of a man than I thought I was.
3: Well, no, you might have a little bit of aversion to uh, motion. Yeah, I've got this little inner ear thing. Yeah. Now, if you just went up there and flew... Yeah, no
2: problem. There's I a lot all of, the time.
3: a lot of pilots yeah. that just fly straight lines. Don't I worry don't, about it. I don't get sick that way. There's the occasional ones that have to dodge missiles. You mm-hmm. don't want to do that. Uh, I went to a park. I
2: won't name the park. It's in California, mm-hmm. and it rhymes with rotz Okay, Blarn. Gotcha. Hmm. And... I don't want to name it, because mm. we don't want to... But I went it's on a lot of roller coasters, a lot of right. whippity whaps. Hey, let's yeah. make you nauseous. I lasted about two rides. Yeah.
3: Then I honestly... And Grandpa's I, sitting this one out. That I, was before I, I was a grandpa. I went to the same park as a kid? Yeah. Same thing. Weird. After about two or three... There might have been one called Montezuma's Revenge. I can't remember. Mm. I'm not being in that park. I not I think know. that's something else. But I felt rather sick. So I, I stopped going. And that's kind of where... I, I like the roller coasters. Don't get me wrong. But, one, the lines. It's usually the most popular ride yeah. in the park, and I just don't care to wait in a line that much. So I'll I go agree. off on other things. Even if it's in the middle of the heat, in the middle of the summer with a lot of sweaty people? Yeah, that doesn't help either.
2: <laughs> hey, Terry, I need to ask you a quick question. Yes. So there's another park in Southern California. We'll call it Cringy Land. Okay. Oh, Cringy Land. And uh, – there's a ride that they're getting rid of. They're getting rid of the Shower
3: of Starer, Yeah, we'll uh, call it. And they're replacing it. Why? That's a great... Yeah. It's they're, a they're fantastic They're replacing ride. it with a Guardians of the Galaxy thing, which sounds stupid. But, but right. I don't understand why. That movie was okay. It's not that popular, but Gar- apparently Gardens they're, of they're the really galaxy. pushing. It's just the other ride, people are... They're actually mad that the Tower of Terror is going away. Oh, Yeah. Isn't Garden of the that Galaxy? That was the best ride there. Yeah. Gar, gar, guard, gardeners? Guardians gar, of the Galaxy. Guardians there was of the a, Galaxy. That's a Marvel Comics There's right? a talking raccoon with, yeah. like, guns, which is pretty cool. But when they pulled it off in the movie, I just don't see what how they make the it a raccoon's ride. name? Rocket. Rocky? Rocket Rock- raccoon. Rocky raccoon? Rocket. Rocket. He's the product of a genetic testing on an alien planet. Never mind. Come on. Nerd alert! Yep. <laughs> he fell into the trap. All we have to do is... There was some testing, and they gave him, you know... What? Was it a spider? He
2: got bit by a spider.
3: No. And turned into Rocky the Raccoon. This was different. Okay. It's Rocket. Marvel Comics, right? Or was that a DC comic? No, it's Marvel. Is it? Yeah. DC would be at a Warner Brothers-owned attraction. (laughs) Whereas Marvel is owned by Disney. Now, I thought Rocky was a Jedi. No (laughs) He's just a raccoon with a bad attitude. Right. Now, apparently, his own tower with an elevator, which makes no sense. Didn't he have a tree cyborg? Groot. He says one word. What was his name? What was his word? Uh, Well, he says three. I am Groot. I am Groot. But he says it with, like, feeling and emotion. So Mm -hmm. it means different things. He sounds like Vin Diesel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But Groot had artificial intelligence. Uh, No, it was real intelligence. He's a sentient tree. Wow. Yeah. You're a nerd. I mean that affectionately. And then at the end of the movie, with Baby Groot dancing around because all they had left for the splinter. See, people like that. It's super cute.
2: Well, we'll get you more of that excitement coming up. It is roller coaster day, so you know, keep your
3: hands huh. and feet, feet inside the car at all times, and make sure you, by the way, which is funny because they tell you to do that, and then the. Every advertisement they put out, everyone has their hands up yeah. as they're riding around on a roller coaster. You're not supposed to do that. Until they hit the sign at the top of the hill. Don't do that. Yeah, bam. <laughs> Is bam.
2: Uh, remember, don't get your kids on a ride that they're not tall enough to be on. Right. That's one of the
3: most important rules. Which made going to the amusement coasters. park last time I we went very enjoyable because my kid couldn't go on any of the rides that an adult yeah. would go on. So weren't all these slow, you know, we were going on the train and the Ferris wheel. It's traumatic. My sister snuck me
2: on rides that I was too small for. And I was like, they'd put the bar down and I'm sliding all through it. And I'm thinking, they're trying to kill me. Not good. Not good. Not good. Anyway, we will now, uh, we, we got that coming up. We also are going to be talking about great teams, of course. Plus uh, some other crazy stories about. Uh, have you ever been assaulted with by a burrito? We're going to talk about that. But first, let's get to Sadie Nelson in the news. Sadie.
5: After a second night of violent protests in Milwaukee, the mayor announced a 10 p.m. curfew for teenagers beginning Monday. 14 people people were arrested on Sunday, police said, adding that four officers and four sheriff's deputies were injured by protesters. An 18-year-old male who was shot was rescued by police and transported to a hospital. More unrest is is expected following the Saturday shooting by by, by police of a black motorist who cops pulled a gun on while he tried to escape a traffic stop. A 40-year-old man has been charged with arson for allegedly starting a fire in Northern California that destroyed 175 homes and forced mass evacuations. The suspect faces 17 counts of arson for numerous fires he allegedly started throughout the past year. The most recent one near Clayton Creek has burned more than 4,000 acres and remains only 5% contained since it started Saturday. Donald Trump gave a significant speech on terrorism on Monday, describing the battle against radical Islamic terrorism as being serious as the Cold War. As been expected, Trump outlined his plans for extreme, extreme vetting, doubling down on his original proposal to ban all Muslims, but adding an ethical test for people wanting to enter the country, seeking to admit only those who support American values such as tolerance and pluralism. And finally... This Friday is World Orangutan Day, an international day of celebration with a focus on highlighting the beauty of this distinctive primate. To mark the occasion, Taikwa Zoo in England has announced it is offering a free entry on the day to all visitors with red hair. Who <laughs> will be able to save nearly 20 euros on the price of a ticket. Wow. A zoo spokesperson said, please note, we will be letting in people who have naturally red hair or dyed red hair for free. If you come wow. wearing a wig, you will have to pay the entrance fee.
2: Hmm. That doesn't seem
5: quite fair. It's not.
2: I hope they, you know, I hope they are okay not turning into
3: a monkey in the middle of this. Are they going to have an ideological test for them to enter yeah, the park? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you truly a redhead? Do you, are you truly a redhead? <laughs> do you stand up with the ideals that all yeah. redheads know to be true? Do you believe in all the stereotypes
2: of redheads? <laughs> <laughs> well done, Sadie. Thank you for the news update. Again, happy roller coaster day. We've got so much to talk about. First, Terry really wants to teach us about our
3: cable boxes. I think most people still have a TV. Most people probably still subscribe to some sort of cable satellite service. Even though people keep talking about how there's all these people that are cutting cords. Cutting cords. So it's still very important. And the one thing that frustrates, I think, everyone that has one of these is the box with which they access the programming. Yes. Your cable or satellite provider gives you some sort of set-top box, and that thing is locked in. And most of the time that I've experienced, the way it works is horrible. It's hard it, to find it, things. Yeah, it's hard to it's work. It's hard to you navigate. Have, you have one now. They're even putting a voice activations. Uh-huh. So I can you, just speak into mine, and it takes me wherever I want to go. Does it work yes. well? It works incredibly well, okay. but I can never. I, I've yet to learn how to get out of it. But some people I've read have a problem that your box is owned by the company that also owns the TV network that's running the Olympics. Yes. And so they have kind of co-opted the entire box to make it an Olympic box for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that becomes, for some people, it's not something they want. They want to be able to have some choice. They yeah, freedom. So uh, the, the FCC in January, Tom Wheeler, who's the chairman there, proposed giving subscribers the option to scrap the set-top box, which you can only get from the cable company, for cheaper third-party devices kind of open up the market, get more innovation, more ideas, and let you have access to a whole bunch of different services yeah. rather than just what your cable company says. Cable companies hate this. They, they're they calling it unlock the box proposal, which they blamed uh, unfairly on Google, a tech giant that is uh, edging into that cable broadband area with some of their own offerings. Um, Comcast, AT&T, DISH, Time Warner Cable, and other interests forming a new lobby group called the Future of TV Coalition. Ooh, Does that yikes. sound menacing? Yeah. So this is this is the cable box monitoring group. Yes. They want the cable box to stay exactly the way it is because they have it locked down and they can monetize off that. And ah. and it says they went full bore on Congress aided by Hollywood and other other interests that way uh, to uh, stop this unlock the box proposal. They want to go with uh, they're losing to this other alternative called ditch the box. So there's unlock the box, and then there's ditch the box, which are two no, different... No relationship to the ditch network. Right. says so the alternative favored by big cable that would replace set-top boxes with proprietary apps. Ah. Now, I know there are several companies that they're like, we have our own operating system. Like, you have an iPad app. That's what you're yeah, using. It's really not, not that big a deal. But it says they're, they're big tech isn't a fan of ditch the box because... They want to Google wants to get into the box, too, for the same reason. Everyone's trying to take advantage of your TV viewing of you and and this F the guy Wheeler, the head of the FCC, seems to be progressing in a way Mm -hmm. to kind of maybe work on the side of the consumer. So they'll make a decision by the end of the year. But either way, we may end up on the short side of this. Terry. I'm glad you're on that. Everyone loves TV. That and that's news that very few people will cover. And if you don't there might need to be that needs to be part of the ideological test then. Right there. Do you like TV? Yeah, are you pro box thing. unlock or pro lock box? Yeah, and then we judge whether we let you in or not. Hey, uh, we got to get to the
2: story about Bodie McBoatface. Do you remember Bodie McBoatface? That was I one do. of your
3: favorite stories of all time. well it was pretty funny.
2: That was they, they were trying to name a, a research vessel in England. England. So they opened it up to the public, and people big, just started messing around. Big mistake. You don't. You don't ask the public. Hey, what should we name this multi-million-dollar boat right. or ship? And Because the, they came up with the name Bodie McBoatface, and then it eventually won, and then they changed it
3: because you're not going to get that. And they named some little exploratory tool they have on the boat, Bodie McBoatface.
2: Well, guess what? The people in Melbourne, Australia, did not learn the lesson.
3: No. Of
2: the people in Great Britain. The Melbourne Metro Tunnel S- Station needs a name. Okay? Hmm. So they're asking the people, what do you suggest? And guess what they came up with? Trainee McTrainface Station. There you go. Training McTrain Face Station. Oh. There you go. Here's the anthem for Training McTrain Face Station. Does this song remind you of anything? Huh?
7: Here comes Training McTrain Face. Okay.
2: Right into Training McTrain Face Station. You're loving it, aren't you? You're tapping your toes. Public Transport Victoria uh, will gather the public's names, uh, f- you know, other than McTrain McTrainface. So far, a lot of people aren't taking it that seriously. Mm. There have also been a few other hilarious names suggested, including Will It Be On Time Station? Yep. Better Than Sydney
3: Station. Hmm. And Running Late Again Station. There you go. See, that's why they open this up. They expect some serious comment, they get jokes, right? and then they just ignore the public will of Trainee McTrainface, oh, yeah. and then people get mad, like, why did you even open up
1: door? Don't, don't anyway?
2: ask us if you don't care. Yeah.
3: And then they go, oh, it needs to be, you know, official and res- named after somebody that no one knows. And, right. Yeah, you know, whatever. That music, by the way. That was pretty good. You gotta love that. That brought back a ton of memories when Jeff
2: and I were talking about it. That's Jeff's childhood right there. I'm that old. You're that good. You're that good. That's Dumbo. That's training, or uh, what was his name? Casey Jr. was the train that pulled the circus with Dumbo on it. I thought it was Casey Jones, but then I realized that was Ninja Turtles. Yeah, Casey Jones is someone else. Crazy stuff. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be speaking about great teams. How to create a high-performing organization. What do they do differently? Might surprise you. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as you watch the Olympics uh, and you see all of these team sports, you think, man, they're killing it. They sure play well together. Wouldn't it be great to work that well in your own workplace? The, you know, it's uh, it's not an easy thing to create a strong team, a powerful team, but because, uh, you know, there's always a star here or there. There's some that like the meeting, some that don't, some that want to talk, some that don't. How do you build a team that can uh, be a high-performing organization and yet uh, especially get results that, that we have to get? In the end, it's not easy. So we brought in a, a pro to talk to us about it. Don Yeager joins us. And Don is an award-winning keynote speaker, business leadership coach, and eight-time New York Times best-selling author and a longtime associate editor for Sports Illustrated. Today he's here with us to talk about 16 things high-performing organizations do differently. Don Yeager, thank you so much for being with us.
7: Matt, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very
2: much. You bet. What a great um, time, really, to be talking about teams. And you see it. I, like I, I was watching the other day water polo, which I don't know what it is, but every time I watch it, I feel like I can't breathe. <laughs> and i don't know what that that's all about but i'll check with my doctor what what is it really that makes a good team is can a leader make that big of a difference
7: well yes absolutely i think that there's there's no question that when you can when when you can set a bar for people and when they can appreciate that and and that then the leader by the way does not have to be the manager the owner the the leader can be can be one of those on the team, uh, right. but when when someone steps in and says this is this is the environment we're going to create here, this is the way we're going to lead and the way we're going to the way we're going to uh, this is what will be valued here and here's and here's how I'm going to prove it because every time you do this, I'm going to value you, I'm going to acknowledge you, I'm going to uh it, I'm going to engage with you if you can create that kind of environment where people appreciate uh, something bigger than themselves right that's what a team really is right the ability to get a group of people to to contribute to something that they couldn't contribute they couldn't they couldn't achieve on their own What what are Um, some
2: of the things you're seeing uh, in the olympics or even just you know as as countries organizing the olympics anything standing out for you that that seems to kind of stand out as a as a strong principle for leadership
7: sure i don't i think the number one answer so uh, the book that you're referencing is is based on uh, about 110 interviews, uh, 110 conversations with the best team builders in the United States, right? uh, team builders that I've had the chance to work with, and then another dozen uh, business leaders who are leaders of exceptional organizations, large companies that are very that are that are um, that are continuously successful. And the number one answer that comes up when you ask them how do you create an environment that allows you to win year after year. It's that you have to have a sense of purpose and that, that you collectively, you as a team, need to know who you're in service of and know why it matters. And, um, and so the Olympics are the perfect place for that discussion because for many uh, on these teams, and especially in a lot of other countries, being part of the national team, being representing your country, uh, it's the highest honor. It's the greatest thing you can achieve, right? That. That walk through the tunnel into the opening ceremonies of the Olympics is the highlight of of all you've achieved, all you've worked to achieve in your entire life. Mm. So, interestingly, that this concept, that you're, you know, this idea of what can you what can you go, the Olympics are a perfect place to see it because there's so many great teams there that are built around a concept of we are in service of something bigger than us. Right? Yeah. We are. We are. Uh, and, and 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 nationalism is a great place to do it. Right? Um, if you believe your company is involved in, uh, in in changing a community, that's a great place to do it. Uh, wherever it is, if you can if you can find a way to put a face on the um, the the service you're doing for others, your team comes together differently.
4: Oh yeah.
2: And I mean, it's got to be hard too when you have you know massive egos. In the way as well, because it seems like it might interfere with the purpose. You mentioned that purpose is to know who you are in service of, but and sometimes the, you might have an ego on the team that that is only maybe in the service of themselves.
7: Yeah. So again, we'll stick with the Olympic example. That that's that's where creative and innovative and thoughtful leadership makes a huge difference. Wow. Um, you know, we've got uh, our USA basketball team. Um, it's an example I use in the opening chapter of the book. Actually, uh, when they when the team was struggling, they had finished with a bronze at the Athens Olympics. Uh, they'd finished sixth in the world two years earlier. So you know we were no longer the the world powerhouse in basketball that that many people thought we should be. They hand the team over to Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, and and he immediately creates re- realizes that if I want to create a sense of service, if I want our team to believe. They're in service of something bigger. Who can I turn to? And he chose the military, right? Mm. People who also wear the letters USA on the front of their jersey every day, uh, but who do so with a, a for a far different purpose. And he started bringing in wounded warriors to talk to our players. He started bringing in. He started taking our players on trips to, to Ellis Island. He started taking them to, to West Point. Uh, and then, and then a few years ago, he took them to Arlington National Cemetery, and it's this really powerful story. Wow, but, that's but brilliant. He, he wanted our players to realize you are really extraordinary, but today you get to be part of something bigger than you. Right, and enjoy that because it's a special place to be in your life. And it's again, he put a face on. He put a face on who they're in service of, and that's one of the great challenges that a creative leader can take on. How can we Put a face on who were who were uh, whose lives were altering by doing good work
4: mm.
2: One of your points uh, and chapters of the book um, is is really about your culture and how how to allow culture to shape recruiting. Talk about that. What do you mean by allowing a the culture to shape recruiting?
7: sure so one of the great challenges that happens I think with a lot of people uh, in the uh, especially in the corporate world is uh, it happens in sports too right in sports we get wrapped up as fans or whatever, how many five-star recruits did our team bring onto their roster? Uh, in, in business, we might say, you know, what, what university did they come from, right? You know, right. What's, what's the pedigree of the person? Let's, let's get caught up in resumes. The truth is that the great teams uh, are less fascinated by stars on recruiting profiles or, or pedigrees they are more caught up in, here's what works in our team. Let's, first off, before we hire anybody, let's know what works best here. What do we, Again, this gets to culture. What do we value? Uh, what gets you elevated in, in our environment? What, what gets you fired? Right? That, those are your cultural, uh, their basic, your baselines for culture are, are like, what, what, do you, what gets you uh, a, a raise at a company and what gets you fired? Those are your two, two uh, kind of mm-hmm. baselines. And once you know what those are, then you go out and you realize, hey, uh, now let's hire people that only come, that that are going to come here because they fit, not because they they look good on paper. And um, in, in my little company, I own a couple of small companies in Tallahassee, Florida. And, uh, you know, we have a culture document. In our, these, these are the things that work in our company. You know, one of them, for example, is that we do not micromanage because we're too small, right? We don't yeah. have time to... So when we're in interviewing somebody, we slide that document across the table, and we say, by the way, this is what works here. If, if any of that doesn't resonate with you, if, and I'm not passing judgment on you. Like, if you need micromanagement, that's okay. Some people do. You'd be better off not coming to work here.
2: Yeah, this right? won't work for you.
7: Right. So you cut it off early, but you only do so if you know what works for you, and you can express it. Uh, clearly and openly, and most people can't. Most people, you know, innately, you know what works in your company, but most people never sit down to kind of scribble it on a sheet of paper. Right. And once you do that, then you start realizing, yeah, that person might work here. Uh, that person certainly couldn't come here. They they, 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 they enjoy drama way too much, or whatever <laughs> it might be.
2: Well, that seems like that's it. They, you, a lot of times we hire people because they, you know, they're they're so. Um, I don't know, they're they're great salespeople, they can sell us in the interview, it seems like what we want, that charisma, that enthusiasm, but we also need them to be able to work, and we also need them to be able to work well with others. I know another point you bring up is that, you know, great teams manage dysfunction, they manage their friction, they don't just, the leaders don't just turn away and kind of allow them, you know, I guess just to beat each other up. They actually manage it. They handle it. How? Wh- what do you suggest about dealing with strong personalities in, in a
4: workplace?
7: Well, the first thing that has to happen, again, you, and you, you you hit it right on the head, uh, as a leader, the leader of your of your team, the leader has to be uh, willing to step in and say, by the way, I see this happening, and I want to address it. Um, and I, I want, I'd like the three of us to talk about it. I, I tell a story in the book about uh, I'm not a big NASCAR guy. I don't know a lot about auto racing, but I do know that of the last 15 years, the best team in auto racing is the team that that Jimmy Johnson drives uh, his race car for Rick Hendrick Motorsports. Mm. Uh, but a few years ago, Jimmy Johnson was was having an issue with his his uh, crew chief, right? And that's the person that is really kind of the non-driver lead of the team, uh, and uh, and that guy's name is Chad Canales. And the owner of the team saw the friction, right, which all of us can generally see friction in our organizations. But instead of letting, instead of saying, you know what, I'm gonna hope this goes away, I'm gonna hope these guys work it out, Uh, he summoned them to a meeting. And when he brought them in, the two guys showed up and there was a quart of milk and a plate of cookies (laughs) and some Mickey Mouse plates on the table. And And the owner of the team said, by the way, if we're gonna act like children, we're going to eat like children, <laughs> and so we're going to sit here over milk and cookies, and we 're going to talk about what's going on on this team. So he addressed it, but he did it in a way that allowed yeah. everybody to and these two guys went on to win six sprint Cup titles, which it's you know no huge. one' came even close in that space, uh, but they did so because they because a leader saw friction and chose not to close his eyes. You know put his fingers in his ears and hope it went away
2: and because the friction doesn't have to be a bad thing right it, it also could be you know the energy you need it could be the spark you maybe need
7: absolutely often i mean that's that's one of the things we talk about often is it is it friction is when you say friction on your team, most people immediately put that in the negative category, but the truth is sometimes friction is a healthy expression of uh, of of competitiveness or of of strong personalities, and and those are not necessarily bad things. They just have to be. They have to be reined in into the better, the the better the betterment of the of the of the greater good than uh, than the individual desire to be, the uh, you know yeah. to be dysfunctional.
2: Man, um, it's it really it, it's such a. People are hard anyway. Then you put, like, t- 20 of them on a team, and then it gets a little, a lot more complicated. That's why we need a, a, a and pro. It,
7: and then sometimes if you let that team ex- experience some success, yeah. then it gets really bad. Oh, yeah,
2: that, yeah, and then they cement in their ways, too. We're speaking with Don Yeager, author of the book Great Teams, 16 Things High-Performing Organizations Do Differently. You can go to his website, donyeager.com. We'll continue the discussion after the break. Stick with us, folks. We're talking high performance. We'll be right back. friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Wow, I tell you, it's not easy. It's one thing to have a relationship, right? It's it's another to you know make a dyad or a marriage work effectively. It's another thing to make a team or then an organization and then to have success on top of it and some egos on top of it and then pay people to do it. It gets crazy. So we've asked a True Blue expert to come in and, and uh, work with us Don Yeager is joining us and he's talking about uh, his latest book, Um Great Team, sixteen high performing uh, sixteen things high performing organizations do differently, and he's walking us through the leadership uh, you know, lessons one oh one. Don, thanks for being back with us.
7: Matt, thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to to, to discuss this, this is just such such engaging and fun stuff. I, I'm, I'm I'm grateful to be part of it.
2: Well, it is, and you make it I think a lot easier. I mean, we get into there's so many books out there. You, by the way, to to have as many New York Times bestsellers as you do, you're doing something right, Don.
7: <laughs> well, I've been I've been lucky. I mean, I can't. Uh, if you'd have told me many years ago, I'd be lucky enough to have one uh, New York Times bestseller. I'd be a uh, New York Times bestseller. I'd be. Uh, I'd have pinched myself, and, <laughs> and now actually, I'm. Uh, I heard your intro. I, I think the, I think the publisher sent out the wrong no- uh Oh, actually, at number nine.
2: Are yeah, you nine isn't, now? Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. That's, I mean, Perfect. the average book, Don read. I think people read the average book has about ninety cells. and yours, obviously, doing okay.
7: We we <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we've been very blessed. That's so, great. And well, actually, I have to tell you, I know yeah. we've got a mutual. Um, connection here. I know of your relationship with the Franklin Covey yeah. organization. love uh, that. And several years ago, uh, the Covey family, uh, Sean and Stephen M. R. And, uh, and the, the entire, uh, the, the all nine children, uh, selected me to write their father's biography. Oh, and, wow. And so I have been working on that over the last few years. And When is uh, that out? Uh, hopefully next year. Uh, we have, we're in the, we're in the final stages of the writing, but it is a powerful amazing uh, to get the chance to work with Dr. Covey, and then to get to learn uh, about how, before he led millions, uh, he led nine. Yeah, is really what what it's about. It's, uh, it's a pretty. It's a it's a powerful. Uh, it, it might actually be worthy of being back on your show. No,
2: you know what? It it is for sure worthy of that. We'll have you back for that book plus, as I've been looking through all of your other books, there's so many topics we, we've got to have you back on because I'm old no I'm old. You're, not. you're just you're just well read you're you're well versed is what you are Don yeah, for sure we've got to have you and what an honor to to have to write Stephen Covey's biography amazing one of the things that um I learned in in leadership as I would go out and work with companies, it's one thing to like you know get everybody a purpose statement, get people kind of on the same page. But then it's the idea that they have to change and they have to embrace change because it's almost like sometimes you're going to get your team going and then out of the blue something's going to uh, sneak up on you and create the change. How how do you how do you instill that? How do you get a team to be adaptable and changeable?
7: Well, I think the the first thing again is mindset. Right? It's that it's that willingness that it's not about how we do it; it's about what will what will what will ultimately get us where we need to go uh what will ultimately bring us to the right result and if you if instead of being caught up in how we do it you're more uh you're you're intrigued by fascinated by can't wait to figure out how we get there, then what you end up with is the ability to to have people um say you know yeah, I got it but i got this I got this creative idea i got um you know what if we tried this and if if from a leadership standpoint, if, if those who uh, have an opportunity to to first uh, step on that idea like a bug, which unfortunately too too many leaders do, if their reaction is "Let me hear more," mm. uh, then you are you're opening the door for an environment where change will be seen not as a negative but as um, uh, an extension of your growth.
2: Mm yeah then it's then the change is just new opportunities new markets new right. new money
7: right yeah a way of uh gosh you know what i had never thought of that When's the last time you heard a leader say that right uh, When but the great ones do yeah the great ones say you know i i had not uh um, I, I hadn't really thought that that might be something that might work let's let's explore it further right that doesn't mean um John Wooden was a great basketball coach at u c l a yeah. and and he and I had uh, a a wonderful twelve year long relationship that led to a book that we wrote together and and he used to say that one of the things that was important to him was that when an assistant coach or someone came with a creative idea or some way to do something well first of all his answer was never know right he didn't he didn't believe you should start there you should you should the next question should be let 's explore that and tell me more about why you think it would work and and he would do that mm-hmm. because he a wanted to learn from them but b he wanted to understand how passionate they were about the idea because a lot of people will throw an idea at you that they've not thought through and pretty quickly it becomes evident that it's not that great an idea <laughs> because they've not thought it they just it was an idea but it wasn't anything that could truly be executed upon
4: mm.
7: if you uh but if you are willing to to answer most comments like that with uh, tell me more. Let, let's, let's think through that. Let's, then you, you create within your team an opportunity for people to want to bring you ideas, right? For People yeah. who want to be willing, because they recognize that change and their participation in it could be healthy and they could be part of it.
2: And they, I guess they sense you're open. They sense you're, you're willing to explore. Correct. Yeah, I've seen many a culture where the ideas end up leaving the organization because the culture is closed.
7: Yeah, they're going to take that, that good idea. They're going to go somewhere
2: else. Mm. And, again, that's, that's money lost, money down the drain. And ideas and, and actually influence, right, reach. Talk about one of the things you mentioned is that uh, I guess it's one of the great things that effective or healthier organizations do and, and higher-performing organizations do differently. They speak a different language. What do, you, what do you mean by that? You have an entire chapter on
7: that. I do, yeah, because, again, I, and, and, and this is an extension of that, right, this how you react when someone brings you an idea. Uh, you know, there are most, most organizations, many organizations, the uh, you know, someone of some level of influence might say, you know what, I, I don't want to even. Let, that, that's, that's, I'm, I'm caught up, too caught up in where we are. But, but as far as ex- speaking a different language, it's often around how we handle, how the great teams handle um mistakes, right? Right. Uh the example that I use uh as a key part of the opening of that chapter is the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll. Um I spent time with coach Carroll and the Seahawks studying how they have been, how they've turned that franchise into what is today one of the models in the NFL of consistency. Um and uh and, and one of the things that that came up was They have an entire, uh, when Coach Carroll brings an assistant on the team, you know, he says, first off, I don't care how you've done it before. I don't care how you've talked to players before. You will not, here's how it will work here. Hmm. Uh, No one is doing what they want. No one's doing this job to fail, right? So no wide receiver runs out and drops a pass because he wants to, right? So we will not, when they come back to the sidelines, berate them for being an idiot because they dropped the pass. They didn't do it because they wanted to. It, they did it, and we need to teach them how to make sure they do it better in mm. the future. So we will speak differently to them when they fail. Huh. And, uh, and, and, and when you begin that instruction, and then I went and studied other teams, and I learned that how even great business leaders, Gary Kelly at Southwest Airlines, he is a master when challenge comes his way of not f- uh, of flipping the conversation almost immediately into what what can we learn from this, how can we improve, how can we make sure we don't do it again uh a- as opposed to whose fault is it who, who can we pin this on you know if i've got to if i've got to announce it to the press uh, you know uh whose head can I chop yeah. um, which is what most people are doing today in most environments so the great teams actually have flipped the conversation when it comes to uh, improvement.
2: Yeah, they, I guess they they think it it works because you know maybe they're dealing with pros or they're dealing with people that can still make it work, but I guess they're not optimizing, right? They're not leveraging the other approach of language.
7: Right, because what they're what they're what they're saying to them is Hey, and how many times have you seen a you know, player come to the sidelines? Do you think anybody in, in professional football intends to fumble? No way. Yes. Do you think any quarterback meant to throw an interception? No. So given that when you insult them for their, for their action, you're really chipping away at your, uh, at your belief in their professionalism. And that's the way that's the way the mind is wired. If you if you treat, and yet that is the model that too many places follow today. If you fail, it, we we have to blame something. We have to we have to put it on you. You gotta you gotta feel the pain because mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to feel the pain when I when I talk to the press afterward.
2: Yeah, it's 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 almost like redirecting the pain, right? <laughs> Trying yeah. to spread out the pain so it's not all on you. But I guess leaders have to take the pain. I mean, it was, yeah. he missed, made a mistake. He just...
7: Yeah, the great, the great leaders. Uh, but I love that. I mean, as I watched it, too, I mean, literally, you watch, uh, you know, and I watched, I'm going to use a specific example, I watched a in practice uh, a wide receiver go out and drop a pass, right? And I watched his assistant coach, when the wide receiver came to the sidelines, head down, expecting what he gets at most other NFL training camps. Right? Yeah. Which is, dude, what what is up with you? I mean, how, how do you? Uh, Where are your hands today? Did you leave at home? Or you know, there's some kind of sarcastic remark. And instead, the assistant coach says, "Hey, you know, uh, do you remember this morning when we were in through this particular drill on tape? We talked about three steps this way, hard cut to your left, extend your left arm further than your right. Just remember now, you're going to get another shot at this. Remember to remember that that's the way this mm. is to be done."
2: Yeah that's huge.
7: And, and, and the guys and the guy looks differently when he looks up at the coach because right. he's the and this was a player who had been on several rosters so he had not probably ever been treated this way. And uh and it, and, and I watched him go off to have a great practice.
2: Yeah, so. that's good. That's good psychology. As yeah. we as we wrap it up Don, what would you say is the one thing. The one thing, I mean, of everything you, you, you know in the book that you wrote, great teams, uh, 16 things high-performing organizations do different. What's the one thing we need to make sure we remember that will, that will maybe take us the farthest when it comes to building a high-performing organization?
7: That, and it's the one we started out with. It's that idea that the best teams uh, are, are rallied around a sense of purpose. And this is extremely important, even more important, as we begin to be overtaken by the millennial generation in our workplace. Yeah. You know, almost every study out there, uh, the millennials will rate uh, what they earn for a living sometimes as low as sixth. Wow. The reason they go to work for a company or stay at a company. But going to work for a company where they believe what they do matters. That's number one. So you have to be able to express to others why what we do matters, who it matters to. And the better you are at that, the better you'll be at building a great team. Mm.
2: Great thoughts. Don, thank you so much for your great work. We will for sure have you back on many of your other books and excited to see the biography on Stephen Covey. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate Take care. So much Don Yeager is his name. Go to his website, donyeager.com. Nine New York Times bestsellers. Folks, if you had any idea how hard that is. That's uh, that's quite the feat. We will be back giving you more ideas, more information on how to live healthier lives. Stick with us.
4: Knock, 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 knock. One, two, three, and four. As I knock, knock, knock upon the big door. Welcome
2: back, everybody. A little knock, knock music for you. Why, you ask? Because it is Tell a Joke Day. August 16th is the day we celebrate telling a joke. It's also the day we finally figure out why the chicken crossed the road. Last hour, we figured out why the chicken crossed the playground. It was to get to the other slide. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah, and you particularly did not like that one. Well, those weren't even knock-knock jokes, so I'm excited this hour... To celebrate uh Tell a Joke Day because today, right now we're going to be doing knock-knock jokes, which usually these have me rolling. So, Jeffrey Simpson, enlighten us with a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Who's there? To who? To who who? To whom. And I totally botched that joke. Yeah. That's <laughs> so the, the joke is knock-knock who's there yeah. to. To who? Oh, yeah. To whom? To who? Who? This is a grammatical joke. That <sighs> okay? But see, see. Now let's just let's see. Just, now it's even funnier, right? It's hilarious. That yeah. is the best joke you've told today.
4: Because
2: <laughs> the joke was on <laughs> Jeff. Simpson. Okay, uh, 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 so I would have said two, and you would have said to who? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's try another knock knock joke because I'm sure your next one. Now you want to just take a second and think it through. <sighs> Okay, I'm good.
4: Okay. Here we go.
2: <laughs> Hang on, folks. Knock knock. Who's there? Interrupting dyslexic cow. Interrupting dyslexic oh, mo. cow cow. <laughs> That was funny. That do you need funnier. a minute? <laughs> but That was funnier. That was funnier. <laughs> okay. So, by the way, that's a good one for the people to remember to take home. Yeah. Take that one home. Dyslexic interrupting cow. Okay. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. Let's do another one. This, these are great. Knock, knock. Who's there? Britney Spears. Britney. Knock, knock. Who's there? Oops. I did it again.
7: Anyone? Anyone?
2: Um, I don't, Jeff. Maybe we didn't communicate. Uh, it's tell a joke day. They should be like, like funny. Like these should be the ones that like, uh, you they just you have people just laughing. Okay, okay. I've got one more that we can use, right now. Yeah. Okay. What is it? What do you call a cow that has just given birth? What do you call a cow that's just given birth? I don't know. Decaffeinated. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good okay well uh, happy joke day hmm. get out there folks tell the joke today today's the day we'll take a break we'll be back next hour more jokes stick with us Matt Townsend Show
1: Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr.
0: Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Hour number three of the program. If you happen to miss one and two, you will want to go back and find it in our archives, byuradio.org. Go to iTunes, go to TuneIn. You will not want to miss it. We've been telling jokes because today is Tell a Joke Day. Ta-da! I'm going to get you on one of these. You're going to laugh. I really... The deal is Jeff Simpson here has been trying to make me laugh by telling a joke. And
3: many of his jokes haven't worked. No way. Way. So when someone says, hey, say something funny, nothing funny's being said. Yeah. I mean. Just trying to recap. Yeah. what Yeah. You, or, I mean, it's, he's
2: trying. Don't get me wrong. Well, people try all the time. He's trying hard. Sometimes it's not like a switch. You know, it's tough when somebody says, make me laugh now. Well, it's more like, tell me a knock knock joke. Yeah. But what if I went up to my wife who's an accountant and said, do these taxes now? It's like a, you know, a switch. You can't just expect somebody to perform at the drop of a hat. Well, actually, you'd think an accountant could.
3: Yeah, you could.
2: Well, I mean, I guess it's not that like was a, you have to improv I guess that. that was a bad analogy. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, it, it, the thing is, you let's, tried. Let's improv some deductions here. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to improv a lot. You just, just do the taxes. You know what I mean? Just do the taxes. Anyway, it is uh, Tell a Joke Day. It's also Roller Coaster Day. Which is a wonderful day to get nauseous, upset, think you're going to die. <laughs> you gotta love that song. Roller coaster. It feels like we're on a roller coaster every time we do the show. Could be. So we'll be getting uh, to that. Also, by the way, one of my one of my favorite guests will be coming in. We call him. Um, do you remember what our nickname is? No, I don't. The death preventer. Okay. That's a T-shirt, Doctor Death Preventer. He will keep you from dying, folks. Doctor Ron Hager will be joining us, talking about health. It's it's actually he's got a really interesting twist
3: on health preservation. That I'm not I'm not going to still his thunder. You could ask him. Uh, he went to a bowling alley last night. Did he? So you could ask, is that a healthy behavior to have to frequent you know bowling alleys? I'm going to ask him why
2: I always pull my glute. When I bowl. Yeah. Is it going to have anything to do with cryogenics? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what he is. No, make that work. <laughs> Dr. Ron Hager will be, will be launching his new cryogenics lab. He's the death preventer. Anyway, that's always exciting. We'll get to, to Dr. Ron. Then we will also visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's up
3: on their show. Was it a trip or did she fall on purpose? Yeah. She dove. You don't know. She... She made, she made, she's an athlete. She made her trip look good is what, you know. No. That's what happened. It was legit. It was a legit dive
2: for gold, which, which, and it worked. Okay. Trust me. I'm a highly trained professional. Shawnee Miller's amazing dive, dive Mm. wins Olympic gold. Right. For the Bahamas. Mm. She's a Bahama mama. Apparently, and that dive does not sound. It's like a dive into the water, but this is yeah. a dive. This uh, is a dive on track. That
3: might be appropriate on the steeple chase because yeah. they have a water hazard they have That's to navigate. True. So that could work, but you, you probably need to find Jeff a sound that sounds like she's skidding on a rubber track. Maybe like more like a boing. Or during the golf tournament when they knock it into the water hazard and the alligator eats it. I love the alligator hazard.
2: Well, wasn't there a spilled water bottle there? Nope, no nope, water. No, no. Not, not on the it course. On a, it was on an Olympic track. Nice and dry. <laughs> Every time you hit that. Nice and dry. It sounds like, man, she was sweaty. Yeah. Squirk. Anyway, we'll get to all of that. But first, of course, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie?
5: Nine people have been confirmed dead in Louisiana, as forecasters warn the worst flooding in decades may get worse, with more rain expected throughout the week. Thirty parishes have been declared major disasters as the U.S. Coast Guard resorts to using a helicopter to rescue trapped residents. In Baton Rouge, authorities say 118 people have been rescued by helicopter, and another 766 helped. Louisiana Governor John Bel Edwards said he plans to declare nearly half of the state's 64 parishes as major disasters. Hillary Clinton is beginning to prepare for the first general election debate against Donald Trump, scheduled for September 26, and that means getting ready to confront some old hurts. Among the topics Clinton is expected to prepare to face is the death of Vincent Foster, the accusation that she is a sexual assault enabler, the the Monica Lewinsky and Jennifer Flowers scandals. On Monday, large health insurer, Aetna, said it is withdrawing from the Obamacare exchange markets in the two-thirds of the 778 countries where it is participating, keeping all its exchange offerings in just four states, Delaware, v- Virginia, Nebraska, and Iowa. Aetna CEO said that as a strong supportive, supporter of public exchanges, as a means to meet the needs of the uninsured, we regret having to make this decision, but that its 838,000 exchange customers were sicker than anticipating anticipated driving up costs and making the exchanges unprofitable and finally matt what how much would you pay for a picture with donald trump or hillary clinton well one artist in cleveland wants to bring you the next best thing selfies with trump and clinton inspired lint sculptures yes that was right lint sculptures artist sandy buffy who auctions off her artwork for charity introduced her life-size sculpture of Trump's head made with 30 gallons of dryer lint in July at the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. where did she find that much orange lint? That's a lot it's a of really dryer lint. That's a really good question. Man. Um, and she also recently completed one for Clinton, which roughly took 26 gallons of lint. The highest bidder for the Trump sculpture Trump sculpture That's was
3: $1,000. A lot of hair product. Wow.
2: That's quite a bit. That's a lot of lint. Oof. That's a lot of drying. <laughs> I mean, we've got to do more laundry. I, I have, need more dryer. I lunch. have art to do. <laughs> For my masterpiece. Wow, crazy. Uh, as as Terry had just talked about, Sean A. Miller's amazing dive trip wins Olympic gold. I don't know why you have to say trip.
3: Just, you know, she tripped. She Everyone else but, ran across the line. She dove to kind of get ahead of her competition. She broke the I, code of, yeah. you got to take the tape. She like.
2: So that's the problem without the...
3: having tape. Yeah. Interesting.
2: You just gotta get one finger across the line.
3: Yeah. Seems sort of like uh e, cheap. The unwritten rules. If this was baseball, there'd be a fight at the mound. Oh yeah. Well, there'd be a lot of pushing and, and pointing and some harsh words said back and forth. I think it was smart. She it was a total lunge. Yeah. I just saw it again.
2: It's a total See? lunge. And then she got she got burnt on the
3: rubber yeah. <laughs> field. Throw at Rugburn. Ah. This is a what? A, usually, it's like a cork, rubber sort of hybrid is what they make those uh, tracks out of. Yeah, that's not too uh, forgiving Boy, on the that's skin a there. Nice track though. And she won. And then she's she's looking
2: up at the board on the ground, hands in prayer form, waiting to find out she wins the gold by a fingernail. Mm. Another reason, by the way, to make sure your nails are done, right? If you're going to run track and
8: field, wasn't the track
2: a little wet? No. It, 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 her legs looked wet. Nope. Not that wet. No. no. That was okay.
3: like perspiration wet.
2: Her legs, but maybe yeah, that she was just probably a little sweaty. She just ran a four hundred meter. When was the last time you ran a four hundred meter?
3: Last week? Liar. Four sets of four? Liar, 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 pants on. Some fuego, push-ups and kettlebell swings in the middle. Hey, by the ball.
2: way, uh, I'm still waiting for the contest about the um, the lasso skipping contest. Lasso skipping? Uh-huh. I haven't seen that in the Olympics lately. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, I know. I know they uh, rodeo performer. Yeah, rodeos it. do it. Yeah. It's a. Oh yeah, uh, I saw this video. Guinness World Record for the most Lasso Texas
3: skips in a minute. It was interesting, it was on the Today Show, I think. And he was, he did the Lasso skips, but he did it so fast. You couldn't tell. You're like, did he just do something? What did he just, you know, and and, and it was sort of confusing on the air. It's a Lasso, and,
2: it's a lasso game, and he's got to skip. How many times did he have to? A hundred times in one minute.
3: He swings it back and forth. We have audio Under it. his feet, yeah. Look at it. He got tired.
2: I don't know that this will ever make it big in the Olympics.
7: No,
3: but... He has to uh, jump
2: through the swinging lasso. More of a regional favorite. Multiple times while keeping the rope in motion. One hundred times in one minute. And he did it. The Texas skip is the hardest part of the trick roping in Mexico, he said. The hardest part is the Texas skip. Hmm. I don't see why that's not in the Olympics. Plus, you could have a little Three Amigos moment.
3: (laughs) Right? Nice.
5: (laughs) Olé!
2: Olé. (laughs) <laughs> little three amigos moment. Um, did you hear about uh, the, this uh, Bad Boys segment of our show? We, we always like to focus on what the criminals have done that they could probably do better. Yeah. The police say Louisville woman assaulted a man with a burrito. Mm. Christina Blevins, 48, assaulted a man. According to police report, Blevins hit the victim in the head with a burrito.
1: That really hurt. <laughs> they never lumped there, you idiot.
2: <laughs> the victim walked away and out of the kitchen, police say. Blevins then tried to stab him with a knife. Wow. Holy sort <laughs> It escalates. The man reportedly tried blocking the knife, but ended up being stabbed in the hand. Blevins uh, cut her hand also in the process.
3: Now, But no damage from the burrito. Yeah. How's the burrito? That's the question. Because it wouldn't hurt that bad to be hit in the head.
2: With a burrito, right? Unless it, if it was, was, was frozen. Now, a frozen burrito is yeah. different. That's a frozen burrito. Oh. But a real burrito that's been, like, cooked and is nice and warm? Yeah. Now, that sounds like...
3: Yeah. That doesn't... That someone... sounds
2: more like... That sounds like Shawnee Miller trying that to... That was
3: way overcooked. Or someone <laughs> hit with soup or something. Was the guy in the bathtub when he got hit? <laughs> <laughs> Splash. That was a weird sound. Now, there are burritos that are really big. I've had a burrito that was as big as my arm. Really? You know, like elbow to wrist. Just huge, just was unreasonably it, large loaf of bread type burrito. Did it have hair burrito. on it? No. It was a burrito. Was it that restaurant in Orem? No.
2: Oh, the, like, that's his name cr- I can't remember. Uh, it's, um, it's on Flamin- Center Street or Flamingo 8- Burrito. No, that's not. I love Flamingo in my burrito. <laughs> no, this one was. Um, it's on Center Street or 8th. Sweeto Burrito.
3: Have you had one from Sweeto Burrito? No. Huh.
2: Is it quite large? It's quite everything.
3: Is it, would it double as a blunt
2: object? Yeah, but it, it, I think it would sound more like our first sound, the frozen. How,
3: how would it work as a projectile? You wouldn't want to throw it. You'd need to work out before you threw that. Okay. So if you did manage you to could throw it it. it, it could, would it knock someone off their feet? No? No. No, but if you eat it, it knocks you off your feet. It's okay, that good. Well, okay. Interesting. Depends where the burrito hits, you know. Yeah, that's that's dangerous. And they didn't. They got to finish the story. Tell us about the burrito. What happened? What was in the burrito? They what didn't, were the I know. ingredients. They see, they don't give the data. They're always like, well, the stabs wounds worse in the hand if than you, the burrito wound? If the burrito has the right kind of hot sauce, it would hit, kind of explode. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hot sauce hits the eyes. Maybe, Pepper spray. Maybe it breaks maybe. a little skin. Yeah. Maybe the burn. Yeah. I mean, you could have some serious oh. implications no, with I'm a No, I'm with you. I'm with burrito. you. Danger, <laughs> danger!
2: Oh my heavens! That's why we need somebody that can help us be healthier.
3: Maybe don't eat as many burritos. Yeah, that's that would probably be what Doctor Ron Hager suggests. He'd want to see like fruits and vegetables, right? And oh, then the story would be: Sky gets hit in the head with a. carrot cucumber yeah uh. that would hurt yeah not as not as exciting though burrito exciting no exactly
2: that's why we bring him on the show we'll take a break when we come back the death preventer will be here he will prevent your death by burrito by hamburger over you know overeating of hamburgers fries he's gonna save your life any way he can up next, Dr. Ron Hager, the death preventer, will be joining us. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in studio, Dr. Ron Hager is back. He is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. His area of expertise is chronic disease prevention, which, is, uh, which has garnered him the title as the death preventer. Now, where did I get that title? We, we actually, I think management <laughs> sent it down. Okay. <laughs> and they said that you must be called death preventer.
6: Well, I've given that a lot of thought. Have you? It, it actually started, I don't know, maybe a month or a month yeah. and a half ago. Mm-hmm. You kind of... I don't, I guess, I I guess from management, you, you you coined that term, but yeah, I've given it some thought and I, I wanted to talk about it a little bit today, Matt, because the death preventer, because I, you prevent death, you prevent people from dying. That's chronic disease. But, but but I guess one of the points I want to make is can death be prevented? I mean, at, 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 at some point it kind of we yeah maybe it can't be prevented. Captures it Captures us all, right? It's yeah. eventually going to get you
2: whether okay. you're eating out or not. So maybe we got to call you the death. Uh, you're the death speed bump,
6: or maybe the premature death preventer.
2: <gasps> uh- <laughs> yeah, that just sounds. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't sound right. But we'll work on it. We'll have our. We've got. We'll we'll have our marketing team work on that. But,
6: but I've got to think about it a little bit, and and I've come to realize uh, over the last. You know, whatever. How, however many? A few times I've been in here when, when you started calling me that, <laughs> and I realized that, I, uh, you know, maybe, maybe premature death is something a person can work on, but to kind of say, you know, I never want to die, or right. I want to prevent death. Period. Uh, that that's not going to happen. I mean, it's and 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 probably even more important than maybe being focused on preventing death is maybe. You know, I mean, sometimes there's always the other side of the coin, right? I mean, you you kind of talk about things in a positive light all the yeah. time, you know. So you want to be positive, and if even if something negative's going on, you kind of have a positive twist on it, and uh, and so maybe the idea here is to not so much think about preventing or avoiding death as much as it is just maximizing your quality of life. You, you know that you do have, you yeah. know, the, the life you do have. I mean, I know people, Matt, who uh, they died fairly young. But had a very high quality life, yeah. You know, and 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 it wasn't always like a, an accidental death. I mean, some people I know actually had, say, cancer. I mean, mm-hmm. they had a chronic disease. It took them early, but they, at the same time, they also kind of lived life to the fullest. They had a high quality of life.
2: You so high quality of life is uh, is is key if we're going to talk about health. You also make a really good point. Um, you you have a quote I read by Dean Ornish yeah. about health, and it's almost like we have it backwards. Like, we're trying to go find health.
6: Isn't that interesting? Yeah.
2: But talk about it. Explain okay. it. We actually have health, so right? So
6: Dean Ornish is a physician. Yeah. Uh, many, many people have probably heard, heard of guy. the heart guy. Like, the Dean Ornish Heart Disease Reversing Program and these kinds of things. Um, so he's a researcher, he's a physician, and he has studied a lot of, about chronic disease, and how and how preventable it is, and, he, and this is what he says: Poor health is not caused by something you don't have; it's caused by disturbing something that you already have. Healthy is not something you need to get; it's something you have already if you don't disturb it. Interesting. Yeah. So it's almost like it's inherent within us, um, and and then something comes along, and uh, or, or you know something can come along and disturb it. Uh, maybe the way we eat, or how much weight we put on, or maybe other environmental factors. Um, And and you might say, well, what about genes? Um, Well, we've talked about genes for the most part. Uh, You know, you can't do anything about those per se, but how you choose to live your life can make a difference in how those genes express or mis-express.
2: So usually health is your natural state. Yeah. Until you disturb I mean, it.
6: I mean, that's where your body wants to be, right? right? It's like that's how you were made. You were you yeah. actually made to be healthy.
2: Short of a disease that you couldn't control, a cancer or a gene yeah. that you didn't have control over. Health is your natural state until you disturb it and
6: right. gum and, and, it up. And, and health is a kind of a personal or individual thing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, a person could be born, say, like with a congenital birth defect or maybe some kind of— Uh, you know, mental incapacity at birth, Uh, you know, and and that that person, you know, there's nothing they could do about that. So when I say it's a personal or an individual thing, to me, your health is not the same as my health. You know, I mean, there are some standards, like say blood pressure. You know, you, you and I should, you know, if we want to have healthy blood pressure, we're probably going to be pretty close to each other. You can't yeah. say, "Hey, I feel most healthy when my blood pressure is <laughs> off the charts," and and I'm, I'm like sorry, you don't blood feel that we're dropping, right, or, or whatever. But but the, my point, I guess, is it, it it's it's whatever capacity a person has, given any constraints or limitations mm. that that may be imposed upon them uh, by by their own choice or not, you know, like in the case of maybe like a birth defect or something that, you know, you literally had no control over, but you can still have a high quality of life. I mean, even even if a person has, uh, you know, from birth some kind of mental deficiency, uh, you know, diet can still make a difference in their life. Mm -hmm. Being active can still make a difference in their life. Uh, so you can and while they may not have a whole lot of control over that, maybe they need constant care, then the caregiver you know can help them with that, so it's an individual thing and and, and as I was you know getting ready to come in today to talk a little bit, i I just thought you know I, I mean a lot of times I bring in research, you know we talk about the numbers, we talk about what uh, you know researchers are finding, what the conclusions of studies are and And I just thought, you know well that's all fine and dandy, but you know what what can I really say to make a difference? You mm-hmm. know, is there anything that I can teach or express or or say that that might make a difference, you know, for a person? And and that's kind of what I, I guess what I wanted to talk a little bit it's about. It's almost
2: motivation, today. it seems like. You could throw statistics at it, and it doesn't seem to motivate people
6: no, still. No, not, not I really. Mean, I mean, it does some. Some are kind of tuned for that, you know, and they, they kind of live by the statistics and die by the statistics. Yeah. But, but for other people— you know, they're not into all that number crunching and counting things and, you know, they're, they're, their brain doesn't organize things that way. Um, so I, I wanted to just, you know, mention a few. Well, I wanted to mention another quote because as I've talked about this idea of health being kind of an individual, personal mm-hmm. uh, kind of a thing. Uh, here's, here's another uh, quote from a, a Harvard Medical School psychiatrist. Uh, he said, the patient should be made to understand that he or she must take charge of his own life. Don't take your body to the doctor as if he were a repair shop. But isn't that, it's it's like you said earlier, we kind of have this backwards. Right. You know, and it's about individual personal responsibility. And then uh, the last quote I'll mention, then we can talk about what we can do from uh, another physician, every man's disease is his personal property. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty potent statement. That's very potent. Yeah, so think about that. Every man's disease is his personal property. Yeah. It's yours. But but generally speaking, I don't think most people accept personal responsibility for how they feel. They take their body to the doctor as if the Mm -hmm. doctor were a body shop and say, fix me up, doc.
2: Or they take their meal to a restaurant to be given the meal. And it's almost like you and I were talking about restaurants. I'm, I'm picking yeah. Dr. Death Preventer's brain. Like, what do you order at this restaurant? What What do you order at this restaurant? And it's it's interesting, your choices. Some of those, like if I asked somebody out there, what do they order at uh, like a TGI Fridays or an Applebee's, some name brand place, they'd kind of know what they'd want on the, on, in their order yeah. you couldn't even really answer some of those because you're
6: yeah. like oh i don't really go there yeah well because there's not a whole lot good there to eat well there's a lot good well okay just not good for you <laughs> I, guess, I
2: guess we got to clarify <laughs> that yeah. point right and, <laughs> but and yeah I, and, that's it that, that, that's yeah. your you you go and you own this and i agree with that right yeah i mean some people even go to the restaurant and they're like there's no healthy choices on this menu yeah so I'll have a double cheeseburger
6: yeah well and it's kind of funny I think, and I know because I've been there, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm pointing at myself. I know that there was a time when I would go to a restaurant and for whatever reason, the mentality or the mindset is free license, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. This is special. This is an occasion. We're spending money. (laughs) Nothing matters. I can do whatever I want. Right. I mean, tell me any other time in your life when that's ever been a good idea. Right. Well, like, like driving. Okay. Uh, it's a special night. I'm just going to drive crazy tonight. Yeah. Right. You nobody know, does that. Yeah. I know there's a hairpin curve up ahead, but I'm going to see if I can take it at a hundred. We'll see what we can get out of it. Yeah. No, nobody does that. It's true. Cause right? well, I guess that's the
2: difference though, right? We, we think of that's crazy.
6: Well, I've often thought about our health as being principle based. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember a quote I heard from George Washington. Well, I didn't hear it from George Washington. Wow. I, I read it. You have lived a long time. It was in a book. Um, <laughs> Uh, he said something like a, a principles is an immovable object, not a temporary inconvenience. Huh. But but how many times do we set aside principles of health for special occasions, for celebrations, to adapt to our mood or our emotions? Uh, so I've often thought, you know, if I, if people could think more about their health as principle-based, things that they really believe in, things that they don't change based on circumstances or uh, events in their life. They, this is just who they are. Mm, you love know? it. Yeah. So That's great advice. Yes. Yeah, so so that might be something, you know, that can help a person.
2: By your good friend, George Washington. Yeah. <laughs> yes. let's, do, let's take a break, Ron. We're speaking with Ron Hager, uh, Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at BYU. We will take a break, come back and find out uh, what Ron thinks we should do. What are some things we should be avoiding if we want to make sure that... Uh, We take charge of our health. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show with the Death Preventer. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio is the Death Preventer, also known as Dr. Ron Hager, but we may be changing the title. To what? Health <laughs> Reminder. Okay, I like that. Ooh, that might be the better. The Health Reminder. The Health re- okay. Reminderer.
6: Let's go with that. R-r-r-r. Plus, it has more of a positive overtone, It totally does. Right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's something about ratings are better when we talk about the Death Preventer. Are they? <laughs> I don't know anything about ratings. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally call you that, but you always come in with this black robe. Oh, okay. <laughs> and a sickle or whatever you've got in your hand there—that's kind of crazy. Um, health <laughs> reminderer. There we go. We need a better word than reminderer. Uh, we'll have Jeff get on that. Okay. Jeff, pull out the thesaurus and find another word. <laughs> I'm for on him. it. Reminderer, rare, rare. So talk to us about what we can do to remember. Okay. That health is ours. We already
6: own it. Right.
2: We can only just gum it up. Right. <laughs> yeah.
6: Which, which we do pretty a pretty good job yeah, of most of the time. Yeah, we great in the gumming but, up area. Let me give you a quick example. The, the last few days uh, from Thursday to Sunday, I was at a family reunion. Uh, on on one side of my family, uh, they like to do like big, you know, like two or three day reunions. Like big tons of people. Yeah, you know. You know sack, potato I, I sack I think, race. I think it was like 126 people came or something wow. like that. Yeah. It's, a, it's this lodge, you know, and... Anyway, on the other side of my family, we do family reunions on a single day from 12, you know, from noon to 6, and then we're done. Um, but anyway, this was a long-term kind of a thing. And so all the meals are planned, and each, each you know, branch of the family pitches in, and one does breakfast one time, one does lunch, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, And I got to tell you, it kind of takes you out of your routine, right, because you're sort of isolated. You you either don't eat or you eat whatever's being served. and And, you know, for the most part, what was being served – uh, wasn't particularly good or and at the very least it was a lot different than what i normally eat right and i gotta tell you i had i had a lot of distress you know physically yeah uh, gastrointestinal you, distress. you got
2: backed up you got you were impacted exactly. by the menu
6: exactly and and you know in some cases you don't have a choice like that i mean i guess i could have not. Eaten Maybe it or, should
2: have been three days of fast.
6: Or yeah, who knows? Yeah, that, I, yeah, it wouldn't have been that much fun if I'd done that. <laughs> I mean, I got to tell you, I'm not. I'm not saying that what I ate wasn't tasty. Right, yummy. You know, lots of tasty stuff. Mm-hmm. But highly refined. You know, lots of sugar. Well, in your body, uh,
2: probably that's like
6: foreign. Yeah. So see, to my body, that would have been perfect. Yeah. Well, my well, I guess my whole point is, I had this awareness, right? And and that's yeah. one thing I think a lot of people are missing nowadays uh-huh. is. An awareness. They just don't know how they either could feel or how they should feel. Right. And uh, so I want to talk about a few things, uh, mainly just, you know, what, what are some things you can consider doing? There are no hard and fast rules. There are no laws. There are no regulations that you can very strictly apply. So these are just general—they're kind of rules. They're just
2: ideas you've found that might help us right. get healthier faster but
6: also become more aware. And if a person— can figure out how to implement these in the way that suits them best. It won't be the same for every person, right? Uh, but one of the things, uh, you know, and and again, this goes back to what can I say? What can I say that might make a difference? Mm-hmm. Well. Um, avoid cardboard carbohydrates. That's kind of a, a catchphrase nowadays, cardboard carbohydrates. In fact, <laughs> some research has been done to see if cardboard actually has carbohydrate in it <laughs> and if maybe the box that contains the food is more nutritious for you than the actual oh, stuff inside wow. that they call food. Uh, so there has actually been a few studies on that, but yeah. that's not that, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, uh, What I'm talking about, cardboard carbohydrates... Are those, they're actually grain based foods for the most part, but they're highly refined and processed with lots of uh, additives, including sugar, fat, salt, among other things. M- the most common uh, culprit when it comes to these cardboard carbohydrates are the boxed cereals, especially yeah. the sugar based cereals. Okay. Right. But there are other things as well. Uh, other types of foods, you know, like other treats, donuts, uh, refined grain breads. Maybe if you're accessing it Those through cardboard, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it might be a sign. If you eat the what it, what's in it and the box it that <laughs> came in, true. it might be better for okay, you. Okay, so avoid the car the cardboard carb, carbs. Yeah, yeah. So so th- and really, I mean, I find that if I ask myself honest questions, and you know, you, it's a skill to be able to ask yourself questions, and I'm constantly working on it. Yeah. But but a lot of people are not reflective on that, right? They don't they don't say like if they're about to do something, they don't they don't say, you know, well what is this going to do for me? You know, could this be harmful? Could this be helpful? What might be the outcome? You know, you got to learn to ask yourself questions. And really, you should be looking at the food you're eating and saying asking yourself this question, is it even really food? <laughs> No, yeah, you you should be saying true. that.
2: Is this food? Oh yeah.
6: Because it, and, and if you honestly can cannot say that it's food, then I, you know you should probably not eat it or Ugh. at least not eat it very much. Yeah, exactly. So so ask yourself questions. I mean, if you were going to buy a car, Matt, or a house or, some, just a, bought a car. or something else that's pretty pricey, you have a lot of questions. You're going to ask a lot of exactly. questions. Now, why would you ask so many questions about buying a car but not the actual stuff you're sticking in your in mouth? Your mouth.
2: Like, seriously, if somebody just came up out of nowhere and handed you something to eat, you wouldn't, you'd want to know, what's this? Yeah. Oh, well,
6: it's from my homeland. Yeah, hopefully, you'd want to know. It's
2: packaged. Right? You'd ask the question. It's questions. in cardboard. <laughs> right. It looks good. All what, right. What's a Frankenstein fat?
6: So it's, sometimes they're called Frankenstein fats or Franken-fats, uh, indicating that it's some kind of a, you know, created in a lab, mm. you know, kind of a <laughs> okay. thing. The, the most common uh, Frankenstein Fat or I guess laboratory-based fat is a is, is trans fat or hydrogenated oils, um, and you know and th- this goes back many years, but uh, it was it was a way to take you know normally otherwise healthy oils like a vegetable oil and convert it by hydrogenating it into something that was solid at room temperature. It increased the shelf life. I mean, you can take a can of shortening, which is a classic example of trans fat. You don't you don't have to refrigerate, you don't have to do anything. You just set it in your cupboard. I mean you can make you can leave it in your cupboard for twenty five years and you can come back and still make a pretty <laughs> decent pie crust out ex- of it. Exactly. We there's a story of a two thousand year old ball of butter. Okay. Yeah. That's still good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I I, really, hadn't, all, I hadn't heard about that, yeah. but I don't know if I'd want to eat it. But so I've I've wondered about, you know, why why did they call it shortening? Mhm. Well, I think it's because it shortens your life. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's shortening your life by days. The uh,
2: this next one, avoiding counting or uh, drinking your calories, is one I've taught my kids. Yeah, they hate me because of you.
6: Yeah, well, it, but
2: it, we may save their lives.
6: It, it's a tough one, but you need you really need to reduce uh, consuming your calories through drinking. Now, some research shows that that you know you could take an equal amount of calories that you drink or that you eat. Like, let's say. You know, however many calories are in an orange, and you could also drink that much orange juice. So same number of calories, but your brain does not process it the same way. It might have something to do with, uh, you know, neurons signaling the digestive process that actually begin with chewing and what goes on in your mouth. But when you just blow stuff right by your tongue and your mouth, right down into your gut in a liquid form – it's uh, gonna want. Oh, I didn't think it just keeps wanting more. Yeah, and and your brain doesn't even it's respond like your the same way. counters are off. but it's a super easy way to overconsume calories as well. And yeah. generally, the things you drink with calories are not nutrient dense; they're calorie dense. Oh sure. Uh, sure. And, and I'm in, and I'm saying even things like. Uh, uh, you know, rice milk and soy milk. A lot of people yeah, say, "Oh, they're well, so healthy. It's not dairy. It's healthy, so I can drink as much as I want." But it's also—it's uh, got calories. It's also pretty calorie dense. Sports drinks, fruit drinks, juices, uh, frappuccinos—all
2: you know, all of the, yeah. you know, the 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 caffeine that we're drinking along with the milks and the sugars and everything else. Yeah, yeah
6: So, hmm. so really, look. Um, so, what do you drink? So, people say, "Well, what am I supposed to drink? Water?" Well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean. I mean, think about, yeah. uh, you know, a 1,000 years ago or 500 years ago or however long you want to go back. I mean, what were people drinking back then? Oh, pretty much water. right? If I
2: have water one more day, <laughs> I'm going to die. A phrase you never heard 100 years ago, 200 years right.
6: ago. Right. So this is an, an adaptation in our environment that has not been very conducive Isn't to our health. Wow. Yeah. Our
2: last one, we've only got about 30 seconds. Okay. What's, uh, what would you, the last one is just exercise, be physically well, active.
6: Yeah, to be physically active. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, I can't afford a gym membership, or I, you know, I can't afford a personal trainer, or, or I don't have an hour a day, you know, to do this. And, and maybe their fit, their actual current level of physical fitness is a is a limitation you know Mm -hmm. they say well I'd like to exercise but what am I gonna do yeah well go for a walk and you might say yeah but I can't walk very far I weigh 400 pounds or whatever (laughs) so so walk for 10 seconds walk for 30 seconds the next day walk for a minute at the end of a week walk for two minutes you do whatever you can yeah you know if you want to do some push-ups before you go to bed at night you say I'm a little embarrassed I can only do one push-up do one push-up until you can do two yeah and then do ten and then instead of doing it once a day, do it. Uh, uh, or, or I mean, once, once a week, a week. Do, do, yeah. do it. Do it twice. Then work up. So you work up, you, and you cool. change your diet, you change your activity habits, and you do it very small steps. And you do it according to what you can manage and what you can handle. And then you ask yourself, is this making a difference? Love it. And if it does, keep doing it. Keep doing it.
2: You have a new title. No longer the death preventer. Dr. Ron Hager, now the health evangelist. (laughs) Okay. Wow. You have now, you've been uh, knighted uh, to a different level now. We were going to call you the admonisher, but no, the health evangelist. Oh, the admonisher. I like that, too. We'll use both. We're not afraid. We can make any title we want. Thanks, man. Dr. Ron Hager, thank you so much. And uh, folks, let's just take one of his ideas. I'm going to start with the one push-up. I'm starting it today. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with
4: us. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody.
2: To the Matt Townsend Show, what better way to set up our good friends down at BYU Sports Nation. Today, I believe it's Brian Logan, Spencer Linton. Hello, gentlemen.
8: Hello, Matthew. The introduction songs just get more random and more <laughs> strange as the days go by. I didn't hear it. I was just putting
9: my, my you know what? Uh, earpiece in. You, you
2: yeah, didn't miss did. much, Brian. Oh, okay. No, it was actually, uh, it was what's it called? Uh, it's called Afro Circus Live. What's it called? Live to Move It. Oh, I like to, like to move it. it. I can't see that Oh, far. I know that song. It's pretty hot. Play it again. I like to we move, just it, get, move it. That's yeah. It reminds me of the days when I used to move it, move it. Oh, it's hot. Hey,
8: um... Random. <clears throat> he does kind of sound like my guy Animal. <clears throat> Animal! Yeah, this is... What, what, what um, movie is from? Madagascar. That's Madagascar. where it
2: is, yes. Part of that, it just brought us back to a feeling of the Olympics because it's a circus you know okay two i got questions for you right up front um i've got to zoom up here i need your help on sean a miller's finish in the 400 meter was it a dive or a trip
9: it was a dive dive, man it was a total dive what's up with that can you dive? you can dive
2: i guess it's like sliding into first is that legal
8: propel yourself across the finish line before the next competitor
2: she, I think it was brilliant. I think we're going to see more of it.
8: Yeah. She got a
9: gold with a capital I think we, G. I think we need to stop that, man, because how did you win? Oh, I dove. I dove. Like, I, I, dove. Wasn't, I wasn't fast enough, but so I had to dive. Like, see,
2: it what? used to be taking a dive was a bad thing, right? Like in a boxing match, if you took a dive, that meant you, you, you lost on purpose.
9: Yeah, in football, we kind of say you got sniped. Yeah. <laughs> sniped? When trip. Yeah, when you trip.
2: By the elusive snipe, you mean? Mm. hmm Those things are out <laughs> there. When you,
9: get, when you get juked, you know, when you get juked and you leave your mouthpiece and your cleats, you know, five yes. yards. When you
2: yard yeah. sell, yeah, that's yeah, bad.
9: That's, that. I, yeah, I don't like the rule, though, man. I don't, or, or, what... I don't say rule, but I think they should make a rule.
2: But you used to be you I had to it's... cross the tape, right? The tape had to break, but See, now we're tapeless.
9: That's what I'm saying, Matt. Like, we got to... Sometimes technology can ruin things, mm-hmm. and I feel like they took the tape away because of technology. But if you bring it back, then you have to, then you can't dive. That's so right. She would have lost.
2: Well, and I don't know if you've seen some of these ladies. They they really um, they do their hair up, their different colors. They have their big nails, and I think just the nails it, that's not fair either because that <laughs> gives them an inch or two.
9: Yeah, it's right, man. There's no, there's so many competitive advantages that. Exactly. I think maybe
2: it's the it. men need to start doing nails.
9: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, you know, I've been trying to ask my wife to take me, but yeah. she, she says not in the budget. So.
2: She doesn't want to mess, Bry. She doesn't. No, I mean, I can only imagine.
9: Secret, it's secretly her time to get away from me.
2: Because so. you've I mean, got see. so much. You've got so much. Like, what's the word? Just color and bling in your own dress and wardrobe already.
9: Um, you can, yeah, You're like you a can peacock. That, you could sum all that up with one single word. It's called swag.
2: Yeah, swag, dude. Yeah. Yep, that That's so cool. true. That is so true. Okay, another question. Um, what do you think—there was a big, I guess, uh, Twitter storm about uh, Bolt, Usain Bolt's smile when he was crossing the line.
8: Oh, I think it's. I think it's—if you can, why not?
2: Holy cow, if you can win <laughs> the 100-meter race and have enough
8: swagger
2: yes. to smile in a picture— You're bad to the bone.
9: Yes, exactly.
8: He's, okay, he is not of this world.
2: No,
9: no.
8: When it comes to sprinting, like, he gets a relatively slow start because people are like, oh, he starts slow. He's starting against the fastest men in the world. So, yes, while his start is slower, his top end speed is unbelievable. Blazing. Yeah.
2: Blazing saddles, we call it.
8: Yep, that... Uh,
2: I, I didn't see his saddles. But
8: Speaking of Usain Bolt, Matt, my brother just texted me while you were talking about that and said, P.S. Usain Bolt is redonkulous. Redonkulous. And he said, I just watched his 200-meter heat. He ran at like 50% and toasted, peeps. Just not fair. Not Fair. <laughs> It's not fair. man.
2: Unbelievable! It's, it's like Ledecky. Was it Ledecky that pretty much lapped yes. everybody?
8: She, yes, she could have got out of the Katie pool. And Katie Ledecky enjoys something yeah. that very few people do, and that is dominance.
2: Well, she could. She was so early. She could have gotten out of the pool, had a photo shoot, got back in the pool before the others finished. <laughs> Now that would have been offensive.
9: How do you like? How what would you do in that situation, man? Is, is this I, the reason a why athletes choose to cheat and do steroids? Because they're like, I. How have do you keep no, up with that? Yeah, I have no other. There's no other possible way right. I can compete the, except for cheat.
2: And the freaks of nature, because some people are just freaks of nature. Their body just is a. It's just a freaky specimen.
9: Yeah, that's right.
2: Speaking yeah. of freaky yeah. specimens, um, what's on your show today?
8: Oh, let's see. Uh, Taysom Hill. Huh?
9: <gasps> Yes. Oh, now, wow.
8: we're going to revisit a subject we first addressed back in May. Bill Bender of the Sporting News released his top twenty-five college football quarterback rankings. Yes, again in May. I remember that. And had Taysom Hill at number twenty-two. Mm-hmm. But we, when we talked to him back in May, he said, "Well, we're not even sure if Taysom Hill is going to be healthy." Well, guess what? Healthy. He is healthy. In fact, in his words, he's one hundred percent. So does that? Change the ranking at all now that Mr. Bender knows Taysom is 100%. In Taysom's mm. own words, we're going to talk to Bill Bender again today from the Sporting News, and we're going to give you the update on all of the top 25 quarterbacks that BYU will face this season, including three in the first four weeks.
2: Cool, bend it with Bender, sweet. Mm-hmm.
8: <laughs> and how about this? <laughs> I like that one, Matthew. how about Thanks, this, Brian. Matt Townsend? <laughs> yeah. We're going to play an epic edition of What If. Huh? Sweet. Mm-hmm. What if Taysom Hill never got injured in 2014? Oh. What if? How would that change things for BYU football? That's good. We're talking about, like, m- we're messing seriously with the space-time continuum oh, here. Oh, for sure. We are. What if unicorns existed?
9: Bronco Mendenhall, for one. Would not be at Virginia. Unicorns do exist, Matthew. Oh, sorry, Brian. There's another one. What if Brian Logan was 6'3"? <gasps>
8: Brian Logan would not be sitting next to me, Ooh. and he would be in the NFL. What?
9: <laughs> you Where? would be, yeah, it would be huge. Where would I be I at? thought
2: you were 6'3". Three. Every time I've met you, you seem tall.
9: Yeah, well, see, what happens is I'm, I, I'm sitting down. It's your so smile. I put the chair up. <laughs> you pump the chair but up You really don't understand high. that my knees, like, I, my legs... <laughs> I have no circulation in my legs because it's so high up to yeah, I understand. the table. That, yeah. Yeah, You're,
2: yeah. They're just dangling. Yeah. Yeah, I get yeah, that. You get my, that's short mm-hmm. people props. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I got to let you guys go. I can already tell. I can already feel Ben just cringing. So um, <laughs> I will. Um, and Ben made fun of the fact that I'm, I'm going to try a new health regimen today where I'm going to start with one push-up, and then we're going to see where we go. Ooh. So tell Ben to be nice. Hey,
8: I will tell Ben time, to be nice.
2: Yeah. Okay, good, good luck, guys. Have marathon, a killer show. Sprint.
8: Thank you. Peace out. Peace.
2: That's cool. I got, I've got. i got to get him out that fast. We came in a little late, and but I just love talking to the brethren down there. That was, that was great. Um, what do you do, guys, really? Well, let me tell you what you do. If you can't compete in the Olympics, let me give you a little competition that you probably could get a head start in. That competition is the world champion cable car bell ringing. The, the, uh, the 2016 winner, Leonard Oates, wowed the crowd with a bell ringing rendition of Michael Jackson's song, Bad. You can hear the real version of Bad here. Now let's give you a taste of what uh, Leonard Oates played on his cable car. Let's see if you can hear the difference. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to pick out. I'm bad. I'm bad. You know it. I hear da da
4: da. da. Uh, 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 uh.
2: Listen to that. Seems like it was missing something.
1: I gotta have more cowbell.
2: So true, Christopher Walken. I mean, I gotta have more cowbell. You know, uh, I, we tried to listen to Leonard Oates' bell-ringing championship tune, and I could never hear the bad until right then when we started to play it with the song bad. I could start to hear it. It was bad. <laughs> it wasn't bad. The 53-year-old San Francisco was crowned world champion bell-ringer at the 53rd annual event. By the way, started when he was born. He's been ringing bells ever since. I think, really, San Francisco, if I heard that all night, I wouldn't want to live there. Not that I don't love bells. In fact, I heard the bells one Christmas day. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. Uh, the hero today is a rescuer who saved a woman and her dog from drowning in the Louisiana floodwater Saturday by plucking them from her submerged car. David Fung jumped from an emergency boat into the deadly rain, swollen waters, and broke open the convertible top to free the woman from the car. And you can see the video at CBS News. The woman could be heard calling to Fung and another man aboard the boat just as the tail end of the car was disappearing into the waters in Baton Rouge. She's drowning, she's drowning, she yelled, we're coming, we're coming, the rescuers yelled back. Anyway, the woman's arms surfaced uh, for a moment before vanishing into the water. Fung went underwater, pulled her head above the brown water. Moments later, get my dog, the woman said. Fung had to restrain her to keep her from diving underwater to try to get her pet. He went below to take a look, and guess what? Can't can't find the dog, he said. Maybe she's gone, the other woman said from the boat. No, she better not be, she replied. Fung went underwater again, and this time he brought out a small white dog with him. So there he is, David Fung. You're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Just a good neighbor, right? Giving a hand from a boat in the crazy floods that we saw in Louisiana. Our prayers go out to everybody in Louisiana. And really, America, that tells you. All you got to do is be there and be willing. Try to do what you can. And when you do that, a hero is born. That's why we do the show, to help us all see that there's good in the world, folks, and you're part of that good. We'll be back again tomorrow with more ideas, more information, tools, everything you need to live a healthier, happier life until tomorrow. Make it a great one and let's look after each other.